It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. We've got a great roundtable of lots of people because this is our long-awaited, much-anticipated best of episodes. Some of the best moments from the year gone by. Best conversations, best insights, best fun with many of our great panelists. You're going to enjoy this week in tech next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit, This Week in Tech, episode 699, for Sunday, December 30th, 2018, our year's best. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again, when you can have brilliant, hyper-fast, super-simple Wi-Fi with Eero. Now get total network protection with Eero Plus. Visit eero.com slash twit and get $100 off the Eero base unit, two beacons package, plus one year of Eero Plus when you enter the code twit at checkout. And by LastPass, make password management a priority in 2019. Secure every password-protected entry point to your business and reduce the threat of breach at lastpass.com slash twit. And by Betterment, the investing tool for those who refuse to settle for average investing. Sign up today at Betterment.com slash twit and get up to one year managed free. Has another year gone by? We started, I started the Twit Network. I, I say we because when we do Twit, it's really a, a whole bunch of people involved. But in the earliest days, yeah, it was just me up in an attic somewhere with Kevin Rose and David Prager and Patrick Norton and, you know, Robert uh, uh, recording shows and having a good time. Robert, what's his last name? Heron, thank you. (laughs) Robert's going to think I forgot him. Uh, Recording shows, having a good time, talking about tech. Here we are, what is it now, 13, 14 years in April later, still doing it with some of the most interesting people. I love getting all these journalists together each Sunday afternoon and and talking uh, about tech. Twit is it's absolutely our flagship show, and, and we're really glad you watch it. We decided to take the week off because, uh, well, the holidays are upon us. Christmas is coming, New Year. New Year's uh, Eve is, uh, what is it, Monday, tomorrow. So instead of, um, or a week from tomorrow, depending on where you're listening to this, instead of uh, doing all new shows, dragging people in on the holidays, we thought it'd be just fun to go back and look at some of the great moments uh, on Twitter from 2018. <laughs> Starting, of course, with perhaps the biggest security story of 2018, the meltdown inspector flaws. Although I think XKCD had a very nice take on it. Watch. Well, I guess we should talk about the big story, which is the worst security flaw in the history of all mankind. At least it would be if you watched mainstream media. Yes. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to, and, and I've listened to Steve Gibson's explanation for this several times. <laughs> over and over. And I think I understand how well I don't understand this, but uh, it's a very complicated thing. But the way that I would characterize this is that chips for the last... Since what, 1995. Yeah, yeah, 13 years now. Uh, they guess what is going to happen to speed things up. And we've now discovered that that information that they're guessing can be peeked at. Leaked. Leaked, harvested, whatever. Theoretically, it's all theoretical. So 
the, the, the good, we'll start with the good news or the, or the sunny perspective. That's why I'm here, Leo, is to provide the sunny, happy oh, yeah. perspective. Mr. Optimist. Yes. Uh, which, is that, which is that, first of all, we don't know of any actual exploit that's taken place from this. And number two, it's going to be fixed and it's all going to be fine. <laughs> uh, that's okay, the best I might, possible I might, Yeah, it's the best possible scenario, but it may actually not be true. But we'll, we'll, we'll delve into that a little bit. These are the two flaws, which were interestingly discovered simultaneously. Meltdown yep. and Spectre. Spectre affects Intel chips. Meltdown affects not just Intel chips, but AMD chips and uh, some ARM chips, including Qualcomm uh, chips. And the, that's what is really the issue here. And one of the reasons I say it is probably the most serious security flaw we've seen is because it pretty much affects any modern computer, including an iPhone, including an iPad. Uh, And so that means it's widespread. What it isn't is easy. Right. And there's an, Bruce Schneier talks a little bit about uh, the synchronicity of two completely independent teams discovering this. Mm -hmm. And apparently this is not unusual. He, well, Bruce is very literate, so he compares Leibniz and Newton discovering calculus at the same time. I don't think it's like that. But it, I think what it is is researchers tend to look in the yes. same alleyways. Yes. And this is a category of, of flaws called timing flaws that have been lately very fruitful. Rowhammer is an example mm-hmm. where, where people were able to kind of look into memory based on a, on a kind of a, a weird race condition. So uh, we will um, – we will. Uh, so in other words – it's interesting that these are discovered by independent teams. Schneier says that's one reason we should worry about this because if these two teams discovered it at the, roughly the same time independently, who else discovered it and mm-hmm. who might have discovered it even a year ago or two years ago? Or in, 10 years ago. Or 10 years ago, including the NSA. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, – and I think – was it – Micah suggested this XKCD yeah. comic strip. Randall is, a, is great at explaining this stuff. The melt. This is uh, XKCD number nineteen thirty eight. Uh, the meltdown inspector exploits use speculative execution. What's that? Well, you know the trolley problem. Well, for a while now, and geeks know the trolley problem because it's talked about a lot in right. self driving cars. Yes. Well, for a while now, CPUs have basically been sending trolleys down both paths, quantum style. While awaiting your choice. It's speculative ed- execution. Intel started doing it in 1995 because it really did speed up processors. They would guess what you will do next, start that execution, and when if they guess correctly, it would be massive improvements. If they guess wrong, yeah, you'd, be a, uh, you'd have to back up a little bit. Yeah. But it turned out the massive improvement outweighed the slowdown. So every processor, modern processor, uses speculative execution, except for maybe some of the dumbest ARM processors. Raspberry yeah. Pi, for instance, says, right. we don't do that, so we don't have to worry. So... You know the trolley problem? Well, for a while now, both CPUs have basically been sending trolleys down both paths, quantum style, while awaiting your choice. Then the unneeded phantom trolley disappears. They say, well, you didn't do that. So, But the phantom trolley isn't supposed to touch anyone, but it turns out you can still use it to do stuff and it can drive through walls. What, she, what she's saying here and what's happening with Meltdown Inspector is... Because another technique used by processors to speed up execution, very fast, level one cache right next to the processor, mm-hmm. in the speculative branch, it will load that cache yeah. with data for the next process. And it turns out the current process can peak at that data. 
This is why it isn't the most useful flaw ever, because that data, you don't really get to choose what's in that right. cache, but it might contain passwords, right. you know, logins, credit card numbers. If you could do it a lot, like for over a long period of time, it might be really valuable. That's where, by the way, the biggest risk is to people running on processors, shared processors, like in virtual machines or yes. in servers. Right. So often when you have a web server, you're running on the same machine as 100 other websites. Mm -hmm. If one of those websites were a bad actor, he could run software that would then peek into all the other websites' cache activities yep. and perhaps over a period of time get stuff. So that's the the biggest risk. And by the way, that's why Amazon Web Services, uh, Google Services, Microsoft Azure, they've all been down lately. Right. Even Epic Gaming went down. Mm -hmm. In fact, they said, if you're playing Fortnite on our servers, you may notice some slowness. We're trying to patch them as fast as we can. Yeah. <laughs> so this is so this is a big problem on shared processors because then you wouldn't have to ever have malware on your system it could just be somebody else acting badly but if you had malware or even and apple discovered that this is a scary one uh, i think it was meltdown can be uh, achieved by a browser running a javascript program so you could theoretically mm. go to a bad website and the javascript hidden on that website could actually try to read your Memory contents. It would only get what was in the cache. It would be really hit or miss. It's a much better tool for targeted. That's why the NSA yeah. would love this. Because right. if you know, if I'm going after Mike Elgin, pardon, pardon this long explanation, but I, it's I, complicated. The, it, I think even it's important. The, yeah. Even even the cartoon has to be explained. Yeah. So uh, that sounds bad. Honestly, I've been assuming we were doomed ever since I learned about Rowhammer. That was the other timing flaw right. uh, that uh, that did. What's Rowhammer? If you toggle a row of memory cells on and off really fast, you can use electrical interference to flip nearby bits and... Do we just suck at computers? Yep, especially shared ones. So, you're saying the cloud is full of phantom trolleys armed with hammers. Yes, that's exactly right. Okay. Uh, I'll just install updates. Good idea. That's the bottom line. Yes. <laughs> Update. Right. Because everybody, Microsoft, Apple, Qualcomm, even Intel and AMD say we're going to put out patches. Those would be the better patches, the patches at microcode level. Um, but, but if you're running Windows, it's been patched. If you're running a recent version of Macintosh, it's been patched. And those patches will continue to come out. Uh, for instance, the Safari patch, I don't think right. is out yet, but will come in. And there will probably be future patches that will be more elegant. Right now, they're just... One hopes putting band-aids on it and making sure that it doesn't, you know, it can't That's be That's one issue here, of course, uh, and the register, when it first reported this on Tuesday, it set everybody's hair on fire because they said, you're going to see 5 to 30% performance degradation but that's because the, the at least initial patches turn off speculative exactly. execution. You just turn that off. That's what you get. Speculative execution, by the way, is the official name of Saudi Arabia's Death penalty laws. That's a, <laughs> it's an entirely different issue. But yeah, that, that, that's if you just turn that off. And what they're going to do is over time, and I, Steve Gibson explained this beautifully, but uh, it, they're going to get it back to the performance where there's no difference in performance eventually. I don't know, six months, whatever it is. Uh, well, um, Apple, for instance, in its benchmark said the patch on Safari is going to give you a 1% to 2% performance degradation. Yeah. That's not noticeable. Right. Anything below 5%, you wouldn't notice. Nobody will notice it. Yeah. So... Bottom line is you should patch as soon as a patch is available. There are some complications, however. For instance, this is very annoying. If you are running a third-party antivirus on Windows, you, 
you're, it may be blocking the Microsoft patch because antivirus, and this is one of the reasons I tell people don't use third-party antiviruses. Antiviruses use unsupported calls to make kernel memory calls. This would be blocked by the patch. Insane. And it would result in a blue screen of death. So a lot of people, I've heard from a number of people, said, well, I installed Microsoft's out-of-bandwidth uh, patch that was, la was late last week, and I got a blue screen of death immediately. That's because of your third-party antivirus. And there's a list of third-party antiviruses. This is from ZDNet. Uh, although the list is being maintained uh, by Kevin Beaumont, a security researcher. He's got a public spreadsheet. That would be more up-to-date. This goes back to January 5th. A lot of antiviruses are are either have not been fixed or haven't done what Microsoft asked, was asked which was to change a uh, registry key to signal to Windows Update. Okay, it's okay to install now, so you you stay may still not be getting it. It's kind of a mess, but I think and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think it's anything anybody should freak out about. It's the, very hard to use this. Is if it? you do want to freak out about it, here's here's one reason why you might want to do that. Um, so. Up until this point, whether anybody has exploited it is anyone's guess. And like you've said, it could be a state actor or whatever. Uh, who knows what's going on? It could be the NSA. But now that it's been announced, there's a, there's a scramble, no doubt, among hackers to figure out if and how and when they can exploit this. So it's a challenge. And so the industry is quickly patching it and trying to fix it and fix the leaks. But as you pointed out, some Windows users aren't getting it. There's going to be different rollouts, and so there's a new urgency in the in in the hacker uh, malicious actor industrial complex to exploit this. Right, they know it's, now it's exactly, there. Exactly, timing flaws are notoriously difficult. Amy, yeah. I, w I would say uh, to go ahead and freak out about it. Okay. <laughs> um, Thanks for calming everything down. Here from the freak out faction. <laughs> but 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 here's why. Um, if it was the case that, and, and this is particularly complicated because it's a hardware issue, um, and and on top of it, it's not a bug that appeared overnight because you know somebody was trying to to sort of make an update, and in the process of making the update, they broke something. This was a, a hardware flaw that that you know has been inherent in the system that people knew about. You know, I could I could say the same of Sony. Which is, you know, which is no stranger to to problems with hackers, um, and has a very very long history of ignoring all of the weak yeah. signals, right? And um, Sony would be alerting in fact, them to something's wrong. Be it, so uh, I just th their their attack was a targeted attack that would be particularly vulnerable to this kind of vulnerability. Well, the the point that I'm making is um, the the part that people should be freaking out about is that I you know our as technology becomes more complicated, it's going to start breaking in in sort of strange ways, which means that companies need to be ever more vigilant about forecasting out in advance and mm. pressure testing systems for things like timing flaws, which somebody somewhere in the organization I have to have thought raised you know they had to have raised that issue at some point. It's not like this was a. This could not have come as a giant surprise, um, and I might even argue that it was, in, you know, intentional, and and the consequences wound up being worse than than maybe the risk management people might have thought in advance. So the the reason to sort of freak out is because we think that once we purchase technology, it's ours, and we have agency and domain over it. This is yet another example that that's not the case. 
Um, and I know that these these glitches and these hacks are getting more and more complicated for the average person to understand. However, it's incumbent upon us to keep state focused um, and and to ask for some serious answers. Uh, well, Intel, there are several, of course, class action lawsuits. That's not really probative, but. There is some speculation that maybe the, in, this is a janky way to do it, and, and Intel should be faulted for choosing this way to speed up their processors. This was right, like right. I don't know. I'm I'm not educated enough to say. Um, and I'm not a you know I'm not a hardware person. Um, You'd have to however, be a chip designer to really understand if this is that's janky right, but or it, not. But it's not like this was a brand new design and they were trying to do something totally like radically different, you know, over the last design cycle. I mean, this is good. This well, is going back. Actually, it, it, you're right. 95, this wasn't a problem. But remember, a little bit later, Intel's lunch was starting to get eaten by AMD. Yep. Intel went down a bad road with the Itanium. They suddenly realized you can't get faster than four gigahertz. There just becomes unreliable. They were up against, maybe not by 1995, but, but quickly thereafter, up against a wall of performance and there was huge demand for more performance. And I, as I remember it, remember Intel happened to have this Skunk Works project in Israel that they, when Itanium failed, they went to that were doing things like branch prediction and speculative execution to get more performance out of the x86 platform. They, were, they wanted to move away from it and they chose to go with x86. You perhaps could fault, fault them for making a poor design decision, but... On the other hand, it's been 22 years before we found the problem. Right. And and so, again, I come back to I, I hear from a lot of people. This has been around for 22 years. It's impossible that it's just now somebody figured this out. You know, ah, I, I wouldn't worry yeah, about it. Right. If, if something horrible hasn't happened yet, you know, what's the what's the probability? And again, to me, this is yet another example of. Uh, organizations making sacrifices um, for whatever gain um, that put consumers in harm's way. Yeah, but how, I mean, this is a really good example of something so technical that even we, as people who cover tech, have a hard time wrapping our head around it. Steve Gibson, we talked about this on Tuesday, and even on Tuesday, Steve Gibson was, you know, and here's this other problem. Might cause a slowdown. We Nobody really understood the impact of this for a while, and it took a lot of minds thinking about it. How do you then explain this to regular people <laughs> and CEOs and other people? I mean, how do you... This is, a, this is the world we're living in. In fact, I remember Jerry, the late Jerry Purnell writing, I think it was in Lucifer's Hammer... And this was many years ago. He said, we're already in a world where most of the technology people use, they don't understand. They don't know how it's made. You could know how an internal combustion engine worked. Good luck explaining how a computer works. And if a, a, a catastrophic event were to happen, like an asteroid hitting the Earth, as it does in the book, we wouldn't be able to recreate it. Nobody would know how it, how it was made in the first place. We're using stuff that is effectively magical. And now we're asking wow. the wizards who created the magic, hey, guys, don't screw up. But we have no way to test that. Right? And just wait until the AI is creating the AI. Well, that's just a matter of time. How do we... Then well, it's that's way kind of out already, of our control. <laughs> but that's already... So, but th that's kind of my point, right? Because we're already... So I will preface this by saying there's a lot of misplaced optimism and fear when it comes to You're writing uh, the book. AI. You're writing the I'm book. I'm writing the book about that. Yes. So... 
But um, we can't submit ourselves every time we butt up against a rough problem um, and and sort of just say, well, this is like a black box. If I had a nickel for every time I've heard somebody describe a complicated technology as a black box that we just can't understand, we shouldn't be in a position where we're creating technology that we, we can't understand, let alone can't explain, right? Um, you know, and there's a lot of you know, there, there's a lot of that. So that either tells me that humans have just gotten lazy and we we don't want to take the time to understand. I mean, obviously, technology has gotten a lot more complicated, but, <clears throat> you know, we, we should not be in a situation where we are entirely reliant on tools and services and code and devices that, that you know, we, we can't in any meaningful way understand how it works, Right. From, from a journalistic is, standpoint, math is um, hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It hurts, is this is all, uh, it hurts my science. brain. <laughs> For, from a journalistic standpoint, I think that this is another one of those challenges on, on multiple levels. One, because yes, you know, we're talking about trying to explain this to. Um, I go back to uh, normal people who people who aren't steeped in technology like we are, um, and. When, when we try to explain this, a lot of times it's like people maybe necessarily who aren't interested in hearing about it and are just like, eh, you know, they'll, they'll figure it out. So it does sort of go back to that apathy, I think, about um, these magical boxes that we don't understand how they work. And so we're apathetic to the, the problems because maybe we've never experienced them before ourselves. And so there, there are two things that become an issue. One is just explaining it in general, but two is like – keeping control of the of the message or or making sure that the right message gets out there because inevitably how these things play out is it gets to the people that know more about this stuff and they write their articles they write their explanations they put up their blog posts they make comics what what have you and then it trickles down to more mainstream. It's like secondary. And then the main mainstream, it gets on uh, local news outlets and things like that. And by the time it gets there, it's been bastardized so much and and sort of uh, translated so much that oftentimes there's so much inaccuracy because of the vagueness of it. And so by the time it gets to, you know, a family member of mine who is not as steeped in technology as I am, they're hearing a whole different story and it's the worst possible yes, thing. Yes. And you add on top of that, the fact that all of these news outlets are scrambling for views are scrambling for clicks are scrambling for, for page views and things like that. And you have headlines that tell uh, incorrect stories or don't tell the whole story. And a lot of times we know, like we can tell from all of these different things that track our our usage and our, our activity on pages, that people oftentimes don't go through and read the article. They read headlines. They, they read, you know, Twitter-sized uh, bits of information. And so what we're doing is spreading misinformation and it's so hard to get caught up with that. And even if we do sort of come back and say, okay, you know, you've heard this, but it's not exactly this. You try to explain what it is. Those articles get far less views than any of the articles that originally went out there and said, this is the end of the world. Yeah. Everything's melting down. So yeah. it's 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 problem. Like there's a problem. <laughs> the, the, your computer's a time bomb. Film of 11. 
It, <laughs> and but but it is the world we live in where you want to be. First. We were talking about this before the show. You want to be first. You want to. The only way to get the links is to be sensational and fast, and that's the worst situation. But I think both Amy and Mike are saying what I, what I would completely agree with. What is ultimately this is the job of of journalism is to find is to un, is to do the work to understand the tough stuff and whether it's tech or government or whatever and explain it so that we can have an informed populace right that's right, the job right. well there are journalists there are reporters and then there are editorialists like myself and so one of the things that i would say is it's it's probably less important that, i mean the public is never going to understand this stuff right the public can't locate australia on a map yeah right so the public is never going to understand this kind of security and um it's far more important that they have a sort of a behavioral operating system for coping with this stuff. And here's why. Every time we learn about these things, it's already been out there forever. I mean, this, this one's been out there for two decades. <laughs> so it's like, so it's, it doesn't matter what you know now. It matters what you've been doing for two decades. So mm -hmm. we, we need to um, figure out how to instruct the public so that they can protect their data because the, the, we're always shocked and surprised by all the different creative ways that our information can be stolen from us. Um, every year there's two or three major stories that is like, oh, I never even thought that was a way that people could harvest all my passwords. Um, third party cloud services are, are, are routinely uh, hacked and, and all this stuff downloaded and so on. And so we, there needs to be a much greater emphasis on providing the public with an all purpose set of behaviors uh, and tools that that will allow them to keep their data safe, no matter what. Is the, that possible? It's possible. Okay, it's possible I like to it. do. It's possible to do the the best we can with that stuff. Right. So right now, there's well, certainly update. Yeah, update. Backup. I, Backup I, in the cloud. Uh, pa password. All that. Amy, stuff. Amy doesn't seem convinced. <laughs> Did, Amy, you uh, read the article in the Atlantic in September: the coming software apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like sometimes I feel like we're at the top of a house of cards, and it's starting to teeter. Yeah, so a uh, couple of things. We already have the tools um, to protect ourselves in, in a reasonable way against threats and hacks. Um, you know, I if I, I mean, I would I would walk I would walk out in the street right now and just ask random people when the last time was that they updated their you know OS right, um, updated the router settings. I mean, like updated everything. People just don't do it for any number of different reasons. Um, you know, I, I don't know. And I, I would also just, I mean, it's plausible to give people the tool set, but it's, um, improbable that, that, you know, uh, the everyday person is going to see the urgency in keeping themselves constantly safe. I mean, it's, it's, it's replicate. This is how, this is why companies don't, a lot of companies don't participate in strategic foresight and they don't do the, the work of a futurist because until something happens, um, they don't see the value in it. They and, want to be reactive you know, every – like Sony. Well, and that's right. So, you know, for Sony to have pre – for Sony to have completely changed what it was doing, the net, the many, many, many times that it got hacked would have been an investment um, <laughs> for everyday people, for everyday people right. to do the type of safeguarding that we're talking about, which isn't just running patches and updates, but also paying attention to the news. The Secret Service told me this years ago, banks would rather pay the losses right. than fix right. the system. So we're talking about an investment in time and money that companies which have a financial stake in all of this aren't willing to make. You know, I just don't see everyday people 
um, being willing to do that either. Now, I will say that this, you know, I'm a quantitative futurist and this has been my job for 15 years, but I had a first career. I was a, a journalist. Um, I was a correspondent and I worked at the Wall Street Journal and at Newsweek. That's why I lived in Japan and China. And I went to the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism. So I, you know, the, the comments about journalists um, exploiting tech news for traffic gain, I think is some of that may be true. Uh, and we certainly live in a, in a digital economy where attention is currency, unfortunately. Um, but just because you you produce like just because, you know, Randall Monroe creates a really great XKCD that explains this very complicated problem doesn't mean that my dad, you know, is reading it. And it doesn't mean that my dad will read it even if I send it to him. Right. So part of the problem is, again, I we're quick to blame institutions and we're, you know, we're quick to blame journalists lately. We are we are reluctant to blame ourselves in being complicit in some of this. And oh, but I, I wouldn't expect your dad to. to learn what Meltdown and Spectre do. I would no, expect. No, but I would absolutely expect him to run updates, and he doesn't. Right. You know, mm. I mean, and and <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I have it scheduled. I don't run automatic updates because sometimes you know the update isn't the right one to run at that time. But I have, you know, I have a very methodical way of constantly updating all my stuff. You know, and and I have secondary and tertiary checks running on different things. The average person's not going to do that. But like, my dad can't wait for me to come home to visit him. <laughs> That's your job. You know, oh, and and like at that point, do all the tech support. I mean, you know, then. Well, I and spend six hours a week on the radio talking to normal people, trying to convince them to do this. But you're absolutely but right. But until something happens to them, they don't, they don't. see the, the you oh, know, yeah. they, they won't. But that's the problem. So um, I love the idea of, ha you know, of having some kind of digital. Uh-oh, we lost your audio. Is that us or is that Amy? We'll call you right back, Amy. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, I, it's, you, it's, uh, you sat that was on the mute. Sector, that was elbow. And elbow I elbowed on my, uh, <laughs> Happens all the time. My, yep. No, no, I was, I, I, um, you were saying about how so, we can't control our technology. No, um, going forward, well, yeah, our elbows yeah. can't. The irony is not lost, but I was fired up. Um, going forward, we all have to develop a different kind of digital street smarts that is, is you know, unlike. I think in the past, we're, we're just surrounded by more and more complicated technologies. And so this is the kind of thing we're not going to pick up on our own. So who, um, so who do you say is responsible? I mean, are, are, is, is like the every man, is your dad, is it up to him? Because I hate to do that. Well, so, I mean, yeah, I would say part because, you know, we're now all connected, Right. So this yes. isn't an individual's problem. It's not just it's, him. It's, yeah. No, it's, mm -hmm. it's all of us. And to some extent, you know, I love my father, but my dad, like jacking around and not updating his iPad for whatever reason, ultimately, in some way impacts me. Because when we have a network of devices that are vulnerable in some way, um, it makes it easier for people to find, you know, the big payoffs, the big zero days. Right. right. Like the big zero days that everybody that everybody's looking for, um, you know. Well, anyhow, just, just and, makes and it what we're doing world. now, what, we've, what last year has been about and certainly this year will be about and we'll find out about it at CES is installing a bunch of Internet connected dumb devices in our houses that are mm -hmm. in many cases not updatable <clears throat> and are not properly configured and just, you know, trusting to luck that they don't. And again, you make the excellent point, Amy. It's not about protecting us as an individual. It's protecting the, the ecosystem. Right. 
Uh, and we haven't even – we're talking about a chip, like a chipset. We haven't even – like we have devices now that listen to us. So all of these digital assistants, I'm just waiting for the first exploit to come down the pipeline because you know it is, right, at some point. Um, it's sort of uh, I mean, herd immunity, and we're definitely failing at, yes. at said herd immunity. But I don't see we an will. easy answer. I mean, again, I would go back to the the job of jur- journalism is so important these days. Uh, and it's a shame that it's being uh, dragged through the mud. Yeah. But uh, this is an example of I, I would I would say, Amy, that uh, if your dad doesn't need to understand it, and let, but if your dad were writing for the Wall Street Journal, it would behoove him to talk to experts, find out as much as he can, and do the sure. best job he can explaining it to people who need to know this information. I mean, the easiest way to do, here's this, I think we just, I think the, the, the four of us actually just came up with the solution. And the solution is we Blame need some kind of, no, 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 here's the solution. Because um, I think we need like a CDC for Oh, I love it. Digital <laughs> there we go. You're right. Right? We need, we You're need right. a, you know, the Centers for Disease Control, if you stop and think about sort of their mandate and what they do and where they are and how they're funded, a lot of what they do is try to predict and manage epidemics um, to manage the overall health of, of people living in our country. I think that we're probably due for some kind of CDC that does exactly what we were talking about moments ago, um, you know, which is like they're kind of herd immunity. There kind of is. Uh, I'm not saying it does a good job, um, no, I, they, but there's no, the U.S. Computer Emergency Readiness Team, which is part of the Department of Homeland Security. That's kind of what it's supposed to be. Yeah, but that, that I because I've I've looked at their work before, and I I just it's not um, it's it's not the same. So Mike made a very very good point, which was that we need to position ourselves so that everyday people have tools and. And on that website, if you show it again, um, there you can follow it. And on the site, they do every now and then list right. So the the uh, current activity, and they've got that alerts and tips. Yeah. Um, they do have like PDFs and things that you can download, but you know it doesn't. We need a CDC level kind of sort of institution that has the the press savvy. Yeah. You know that can that can help educate the public. That's such a good point. CDC has been a huge boon, I think, to public sure. health. Sure, that's right. And and I would include digital our digital ecosystem and how we behave inside of it and how we are affected by it as part of our overall system of public health. Yeah, right? It is. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was just thinking this is a little off topic, but I was just thinking about this the other day. Uh, there are so many apps these days where the, one of the first things it asks you is, hey, if you want to get in touch with all of your friends, go ahead and click this button and we'll make sure that if your friends are on this app, then you can use it too. And then you upload your entire database of contact information to their database, you, your entire uh, library of contact information. And it, it's just, it's a small thing, but it's, essentially sort of breaking the trust of everybody who who trusted you with their information, who trusted you with their phone number, their email, their address, whatever ends up getting oh, updated to it. those cloud we servers. And we all, it's like yeah, we all do it. the opposite of an STD alert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and, you know, to, to me, the most outrageous and, and, and underappreciated um, example of that is Google Photos, which I love, absolutely love Google Photos. But Google Photos, I can take pictures of all kinds of people, strangers, anybody, and it uploads to Google Photos. Identifies and, them. <laughs> and, it, and then it asks me to say who they are. Yeah. So 
I'm basically You're saying, oh, that's the Leo. Database. Yeah. I didn't ask your permission. They didn't yeah. ask your permission. But Facebook's even worse that oh, way. Oh, yeah. And part of the problem is Facebook, for example, leaks information in ways that the user doesn't know. Yeah. So f there's a friend of friend problem on Facebook, which is if you take a Facebook quiz, which isn't really a quiz. I know you really want to know which Game of Thrones character you are, but really, <laughs> really what's happening is you're giving a lot of information to a, a third party, like let's say Cambridge yeah. Analytica. Yeah. But worse than that, as soon as you agree to that, they get access not just to your information, but your friend's information. The, yeah. the, so you're leaking, and I don't think people know that, and you're leaking your friend's information. You probably, if you knew that, might not even do it. But people, nobody right, knows. so again, so now let's let's just take that entire story, Leo, that you just told, and instead of photos and or instead of face of uh, Game of Thrones and a game, let's say that because what you're describing a communicable disease. Yes. Right. So so um, so which so everybody seems to want to get. It's worse. Well, but, it's like give right, me smallpox. So if this was the CDC and if we ha use the same vocabulary, yeah. because part of the problem is currently like everyday people lack the analogies to understand the impact of these systems and tools. So you could describe what exactly what you just said and, and replace Facebook with smallpox and people would immediately understand um, that. You know, this is something that they should be paying yeah. attention to. We don't I have a shared vocabulary, and I'm not compare. I'm not saying that Facebook is smallpox. I am. I'm not. not <laughs> there, there, there I is. am. There's the headline: Facebook is smallpox. I am. Uh, actually, if you look at what That's CERT be does, the name for the show if, this week, if you right? look at what CERT does, <laughs> I, I'm looking at the CERT alert for Meltdown Inspector, and it's actually quite good, and they uh, put it out on January 3rd. They updated it January 4th. They updated it again on Friday. Apparently, they went home for the weekend. That's too bad, but uh, so they're underfunded, but it's pretty good with links to vendors and vendor mitigations, uh, lots of additional information, including the original uh, research. Uh, they refer to the United Kingdom, which has a nice National Cybersecurity Center, they, so they're working with other governmental, similar governmental agencies. This is right, but what they what they lack is the one thing I think you're right that they need to do, which is a better public facing presence. And, and yes, and it's not written. You you assert is you know if you have some of the language and you're a little bit more technically inclined, it's a great site to be on. But it's for sysadmins and IT pros. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and to be fair, the CDC has plenty of very top level. Uh, public health and medical yeah. vocabulary and language and everything else, but the everyday person can and journalists yes. can also go onto that website and still make sense of what's there. So that that's you know we need um, and we have people from the CDC who go out and speak. We've had movies made about the CDC. We CDC is part of NCIS. Yeah, make it sexy. You know. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I I like that. So I think we just solved the problem. We have the yeah. backbone of it. We just need to really uh, step it up. And thank goodness President Trump is right up on yep. the cyber. Yep. And um, <laughs> cyber is going to be huge. He's clearly yeah. going to get get right to work on this. I know we, Donald we have watches the cyber. So yeah. <laughs> if we can get Joe Scarborough to talk about it, <laughs> let's take a break. This is a great conversation, and we've just begun. I think we've done with Meltdown Inspector, but I do encourage everybody. I mean, the bottom line: you're watching this, you understand it. But tell your friends and family, make sure you update those systems. Make sure you do those patches. It isn't, you know, perhaps as easy as just doing the operating system patches. There will be microcode patches for the processors. And I have to say, I've read uh, reports, uh, good reports from security experts who say, in some cases, 
new hardware will be required. Hmm. That's a big problem because nobody. I just bought an iMac Pro. Do I have to buy another one in a year? Throw it away. I'm going to throw it away. <laughs> it's it's got the meltdown specter. So it's this got, is, it's got the uh, the STD. It's got the uh, it's got the meltdown. <laughs> but good news, I'm Cersei Lannister. That's the yeah. So yes. that's the good news. Amazon Go opens tomorrow. This is in the Amazon headquarters. It's the first. But the idea is there's no humans. You walk in. It recognizes you, I, I presume, from your phone. Yeah. You pick up what you want. You walk out. Cameras register what you bought on the shelves and, and other places and charge you for it on, uh, I guess, Android Pay or what they call Google Pay now. Yeah, this is so when, Amazon when you, have Pay, to re- you still have to register know. your phone when you walk in. Okay, so you have to so say, you "Here's scan my it. phone." You scan it. It's now your phone is matched to you, and then presumably the system with all the cameras in the out in the store are taking pictures of you watching where you go. There are sensors on the products. I mean, ve- it, this is like a Vegas mini bar, right? If you take the wine off the shelf, you bought it, right? But what was interesting <laughs> about it was that apparently in this demo store, there were still quite a few employees standing around uh, to do things like ID checks mm, on the alcohol section. Oh uh, yeah, of course, yeah. interesting. Um, and, yeah. you know, if you have any experience, and this is the really the basic version of this, it's not that crazy when you think about self-checkout at Safeway or what mm-hmm. have you. But I don't know how often you've done that. I'm forced to do it all the time. Um, it's a pain in the butt. There's al- There are always checkers having to come over and help people with their transactions for all kinds of reasons. And those partic- those already existing systems don't let you take alcohol through them usually. So I think it's 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 a proof of concept. And and maybe a little bit getting people used to the idea that you don't have to interact with a human because kind of like the autonomous driving conversation, it's something that people will feel uncomfortable with for a long time until they do it and they see those charges pop up easily. And they'll just be like, wait, yeah. I can just come in and go, how are you going to know and what's going to blah and why are you tracking me? And as I think they're just getting people used to this idea. I that's Really? You think people are going to have a hard time? Because I can't wait. I think that's I exactly either. what I would love for a corner market. I just walk in, take what I want, and leave. I think that I think people are not going to like the tracking part of it. Oh, and come I think on, that they're going to, for a little it. while, feel like they're stealing things. If you're carrying, <laughs> I, that's it. that would be it. That would be it, Lindsay. Is that I would worry that it didn't actually check the sensor, and I've now just stolen a whole bunch. That's of even stuff better. Check it. <laughs> what are you crazy? That's even bad. better. So chasing you down the I block. I feel bad for the actual thieves that are like, I stole this, and they're like, No, actually, it's been charged to you. Anyway. One of the uh, New York Times uh, reporter tried to steal, actually tried to <laughs> shoplift. And he got charged for it anyway. So don't, don't, but I think that that's a bonus. I think there, maybe it's a guy thing. I don't know. I think, I don't know. A lot of guys would say, hey, if they don't charge me, they don't charge me. I'm just going to take it. What? I can't believe you would feel guilty about that. I think that people are just going to be, it's like, like, like we were talking about earlier. People feel afraid of change. This is a big change. What if it doesn't work? It just takes time for people to get used to it. Although I will say that the idea of not having to show people what I'm buying is great, right? But it's all tracked, right? So it's not really, they know what you're buying. Oh, but they, look at You think they don't know what you're buying at Walmart? I mean, come on. something really embarrassing, someone can now, like you can't just say, hey, cash. It would be like, you know, they now know that you bought whatever cream for whatever rest. I think they know that anyway. Embarrassment is is a very 20th century idea. It's gone. There's no more embarrassment. It's over. Just everybody knows everything. I'm mostly embarrassed about the, the like, cheap rosé. 
Actually, you should be. Two buck chuck. Yeah, don't buy that there. So Nick Wingfield, who was writing the article, said he uh, tried to trick the camera system by wrapping a shopping bag around a $4.35 four-pack of vanilla soda while it was still on the shelf, then tucked it under his arm and walked out of the store. He Hmm. still got charged. Sorry, Nick. Nice try. Thanks for shopping. You just bought $4.35 worth of dry soda that you didn't want. Was there an RFID as part of this? I, I, I didn't. I, I I didn't see that in this piece. No, they implied like it's that it's mostly all from cameras. just cameras. Yeah. Lo- yeah. Your location in the store, and added to shots of you. I it, you know I feel bad about people who work at Seven Eleven stores, but because I mean really, they, or any stores we are any or bodegas or any, I, we are going to see fewer and fewer entry level jobs in general, right? Mm-hmm. Drivers, Uber drivers, convenience stores, but. That, what is more convenient than have... And you could put little ones of these everywhere. You don't have to put wine in them. You can just put little ones of them mm-hmm. everywhere and you just walk in, grab something and go. That is... I think that's the future. I can, I'm going to predict I this still well, have five walk, years from I now. I still have to walk in though, Leo. Like that's the problem is that I don't want to have to walk in. Once I've walked in, I don't. I actually prefer to have a cashier than doing a self-checkout. I just, really? I don't know. I like well, the oh, process. I might be the only one. I don't like the self-checkouts, but that's mostly because they don't if work. If I had a drone that delivered well. me yeah. all the stuff, then I'm, I'm all in. Well, we do. Th- I mean, I do that house. too. I have, I literally yeah. have an Amazon delivery every single day, several usually. I think it's going to be a hybrid. I think at some point it may turn out to be sort of a luxury experience to have a checkout, right? Yeah, so it's, it's like in Oregon like, and New Jersey right? where you, they That's pump true. your gas, right? right? Be like, well, not Oregon, not anymore, <laughs> not anymore. Not what are anymore. those poor people in Oregon going to do? They have They're to figure so out. Confused. How do I, what do I? You mean? Wait a minute! I got to put a hose in my car? What are you talking about? That's I've, why they need electric vehicles. <laughs> they need electric they vehicles. Yeah, and autonomous ones, too. Uh, no, I'm very excited. I think this is a great idea. Uh, but again, I hate saying that because I feel bad about people who will be losing their jobs. Because maybe I not. Wonder if, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to be optimistic about this. Somebody's going to stock the same it. Thing, but somebody has to stock it. Somebody has to polish everything. There may be somebody who's there as sort of a concierge. <laughs> Your job you. is a convenience store polisher? Polisher. I don't know. <laughs> but maybe this, maybe this opens is up there, more. Wait a minute. Do they polish <laughs> things at convenience stores? They do. They, I guess they'd have Somebody's to. Somebody's got to wipe those fingerprints off the door. Things. Absolutely. It's going to look shiny, yeah. modern. And if you think about the number of people who actually work at a grocery store, department store, and who are actually, you know, ringing up customers, it's it's not 100% by any means. So there certainly will be a lot of other things to yeah. do at these stores, I would think. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm super excited about the, the potential as well. There are definitely times where, you know, just going to a gas station and needing a couple of things, it would certainly be nice to like, just walk in, grab it, and walk out again, rather than standing in line, waiting for everybody else to get their coffee order right. That kind of thing it certainly would be very nice. Should we be worried? You got young kids. I got young kids. Uh, you, Georgia has young kids. I don't know. Tim, do you have young kids? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to leave you out. If Old you, dogs. Does you have dogs. <laughs> Should we be worried about when they, I mean, they're in the workforce in seven, ten years. I'm, Sh- will there be jobs for these kids? I think there will be. What I'm hoping is that they then use this moment to Now's find the their time. own jobs, right? And, and yes. so that my, hopefully that my kids, once they're in college, they're looking at opportunities and they're saying, oh, I am going to be a, an autonomous vehicle cleaner. Right, like I'm going to work for the new zip car fleet. And, I mean, yeah. that's probably a really yeah. gross job. <laughs> Don't do it. But but that there may be some entrepreneurial moments for them. Uh, and, you know, there's still a lot to do. Like my yard is still not, there are no robots yet to trim my trees. Oh, that's just a matter mm-hmm. of there's pl- Well, sure. But it's self-trimming a trees. I think self-trimming those are, <laughs> CRISPR is going to, self-trimming oh trees. 
I don't know. You know, it's so funny because we people who are in this field are, are kind of science fiction fans. Many of us, and we we at the, what, on the one hand we want to live in the sci fi future, but the reality of it may not be quite so wonderful. And and I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. I, I think it's inexorable. I think it's kind of hard to say stop. We got to keep the entry level jobs. That's not going to happen. Well, I actually feel like I, I was thinking about this a lot the other day. At what point are we actually living in the sci-fi future? I mean, we live there now. I think so. And we feel like I, I'm always we're talking kind of to my okay. room. I just, you know, today I walk into my office. I say, "Echo, turn on the lights." Yeah, uh, we live I, there you know, now. Yeah, we live. In some ways, we are living there now. We'll get back to our best of in just a second. I do want to thank our sponsors all year long. Uh, Eero, in particular, Eero has been a sponsor for a couple of years. In fact, Eero joined us right at the very beginning when they first came out. That's when I started using Eero. Uh, they've moved on. Eero 2.0 is now out. And uh, so I upgraded our home system to the new version of Eero. And I gave the old one to my mom, who loves it. We're, we're all Eero'd up in the Laporte family. What is Eero? Well, it's the solution for bad Wi-Fi, in a nutshell. Uh, the single router model these days, it doesn't work that well because we all have more devices on our Wi-Fi. We have neighbors with big holes. I feel like sometimes the neighbors must have big antennas aimed at us because they interfere with our Wi-Fi. Um, it's physics. Like light waves, Wi-Fi waves don't really travel very well around corners, through walls, upstairs and downstairs. It's like asking a light bulb in your living room to light the whole house. So you need something a little bit smarter. You need a distributed system. Now, in years gone by, we've had distributed systems, for instance, at Twit. For a decade, most businesses have distributed systems, but that's been complicated, required an IT professional. It's not easy to do, and it is absolutely not expensive. Fast forward to the present times, we have a better choice. We have Eero. E-E-R-O brings that distributed Wi-Fi model, the enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system to your home. Set it up in a few minutes. You don't need an IT professional. It is not expensive. And it really works. And I'm here to tell you, I use it and I know. You put the Euro app on your iOS or Android device. It walks you through the setup. It's painless. You'll plug in the first unit, the base unit. And then you have a couple of beacons. Depends on the size of your house. The typical kit has one base and two beacons. Those beacons, no wires. They just plug into the wall. But you're going to use the app to help place them. You place them at strategic points. I like to keep them in halls. Because not only, I feel like the bandwidth is, you know, it's like the highway for the bandwidth. But also, the beacons are great because they have a little light on them. They make great uh, night lights, So they light up our halls. You can turn those off if you, if you don't want them to do that. And then you've got, you, you've got Wi-Fi throughout your house and the Eero app lets you manage the network in the palm of your hand. You'll know how many devices are connected to any given access point. You'll know the internet speed you're getting. They test it nightly. You'll know, I mean, all sorts of stuff. Plus, they've got this new Eero Plus feature that I adore. You don't now this is a subscription feature you don't have to get. You'll get all the benefits of Eero without it. But Eero Plus really is a nice add-on. It's Simply designed reliable security that defends you against threats in the outside world. Blocks malware Blo from the whole network. Blocks spyware from the whole network. Phishing attacks. Unsuitable content. If you have kids in the house and we have a 16-year-old, I can just block the devices he uses from adult content, gambling, violence, that kind of thing on the Internet. But we can all be blocked, all be prevented from uh, getting malware. I, I really love that. Uh, 
You can also check the sites you visit. It Well, actually, this is what it does automatically against their database of known threats. So it keeps you from even going to malicious sites, but it doesn't slow you down. And that's the beauty part of it. It's actually a deal. Take a look. EuroPlus automatically tags sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content so you can choose what your kids can and cannot visit right in the Eero app. What else? Oh, you get a guest network that's completely separate from your network, state-of-the-art WPA2 encryption. I can't sell this enough. They don't mention it, but regular firmware updates. Very important nowadays. Don't buy a a router that doesn't update automatically. The Eero does. They're constantly working to make sure it's the most secure, has the latest features and the latest security. And I have to admit, I when I first got the Eero, I had some questions about how to set it up and stuff. I called support. They were so great. You'll get a Wi-Fi expert fast, within 30 seconds. And what was nice is they stayed on the phone with me till I said, yep, it's all lit up. Yeah, They, they really walked me through it. Great support. Uh, what else can I tell you about them? Uh, the guest network, WPA2 encryption, they've said already that they'll be able to upgrade to the new WPA3 in software as soon as that's ready, you know, as soon as that standard is defined. Um, you can look at the Eero app at any time and see everything that's going on. I just love this thing. Look, I know the worst thing any geek can hear. Honey, the Wi-Fi's down. I used to get that all the time until we got an Eero. Fast, reliable, enterprise-grade networking for your home. You want this. Go right now. We're going to have a great deal for you. The $100 off the Eero base unit plus two beacons and a year of Eero plus. All you have to do is go to Eero, E-E-R-O dot com slash twit and enter the code twit at checkout. They're giving us a very nice holiday gift. $100 off. You get the base unit, two beacons, and a year of Eero Plus. All in one package and $100 off. E-E-R-O dot com slash twit. And at uh, checkout, you can enter twit. It's great. It's great. Eero dot com slash twit. Enter the code twit at checkout for 100 bucks off. Now back to twit. What the hell is Elon Musk making a flamethrower for the boring company for? <laughs> because you can. What is that? Uh, I don't. Oh, I, come on! It's it's brilliant marketing. <laughs> it's well, it's no, labeled. they're useless. They're useless in a zombie apocalypse. You know, everyone's saying, well, maybe the boring company's gone down and opened that latter gate to hell. Flamethrowers are useless against zombies, particularly fast ones. You need a good axe. You know, it's or a cricket bat. Should I order it? <laughs> it's got to be illegal, right? No, it's, no, perfectly legal. Legal in most states. Not yeah, legal, it's not legal here. There's a guy in Minnesota who was my, my producer's making up laws quickly. <laughs> no, no, not legal here. Not. Well, no, there was a guy in Minnesota who who broadcast himself on social media using one of these things to clear the snow off his yes, front of his front mistake. drive. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. You know. Now, why is Elon saying obviously a flamethrower is a super terrible idea? Definitely don't buy one, and yet. They are apparently offering pre-orders. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, unless you like fun is his subsequent yeah. tweet. He says these should be legal. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms allows throwers with flames shorter than 10 feet. <laughs> so Not really a thrower. To me, More it's, of an advanced cigarette lighter. Than <laughs> <it>. <laughs> to me, it's like, I don't you got know, a light, yeah. Putting a lightsaber <laughs> with two sabers on either side. It's just, yeah. it's just asking mm. for trouble. I mean, you've got to promote your company one way or the other. And well, it worked. I mean, yeah. did you see that there were some corresponding articles this week about the pointlessness of the boring company, this idea of running a tunnel from one side to the other, hmm. just big enough so that you can put a car in it. 
and fundamentally it restricts Why the is use that wrong? of it for the elite. Oh, yeah. You can't move. Again, what's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what Elon says. Why would He says, I don't like public transit. You know, it, Why yeah. would you want to be in a, a, a because train it's really, with a lot of other people? Yes. Because it's really efficient at moving large numbers of people yes. from point A to yes. point B. Which the boring company is not because no. it's... Well, it's, if you can only you can have a boring bus. You're going to have to charge for one car because yeah, you dug a hole in LA. Because you dug a hole for that distance, and at the end of the day, it's actually not going to solve the transport problem hmm. for the society as a whole, because it's only going to move a few hundred people at a time. Yeah, at most, like at any given interval, you're only going to have a few hundred cars inside the tunnel. Devendra, you said something I thought fairly controversial. Oh no, <laughs> which was that the iPhone 10 was Apple's last great product. Does that? Yeah. Since the only other product since it then wasn't that long ago. It was is, like is the HomePod. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah. is that a is that a backdoor <laughs> diss for the HomePod? I mean, it's the HomePod was delayed, and even now it's like not fully ready. Uh, Brian's review is really good. Don't um, rush to buy it, says Brian. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's it's it's a half baked product right now. I, I don't know. I I, I kind of feel like I, I was a little bit harder on it than other people. Do you do you guys <laughs> feel that way? You weren't um, as hard on it as I was. Really? Okay, because like. <laughs> I I felt like it's just it just feels like it's unfinished, right? Cuz yeah. Siri yeah. does a lot more on the iPhone than it does on the HomePod and so it's been training us to use Siri in a certain way and yet, you know, things like the calendar, which I use a lot with Siri, doesn't work on the HomePod. Things like hailing a car doesn't work on Siri uh on the HomePod, but it works on the iPhone and other things like that, you know. So it just feels like I don't know why they, they released it mm-hmm. when it's not really done. I mean, indisputably, it's not done because that multi-room speaker feature is not out yet. So what, what I don't really get is if they're already late, why, why even come out when it's, when it's unfinished? It kind of makes it hard for me right. to write about because I'm like, well, the music part sounds great, but all this other stuff doesn't work. And, and that's awkward. Devendra, you, know? you agree? I mean, I've only listened to it a bit. Uh, Chris Velasco at Engadget is going to be reviewing that for us. Um, it sounds really good um, because it's a $350 super high-tech speaker. But yeah, I agree. The Siri stuff is, uh, it feels really unfinished, uh, really weak in comparison to what we're getting from Alexa speakers. I also tested out the uh, the Harman Kardon Invoke, which is the, Car- uh, the Cortana speaker. And even that felt more fully featured um, than the HomePod. And that thing's just 200 bucks. So... Did either of you get invited to the briefings that Apple had in Cupertino? Yeah, yeah, I went to the HomePod briefing about two weeks ago. We went to the we went to the Audio Lab tour yeah. where they showed us how they tested. This was supposed to, you know, you're not getting the Kool Aid soaked. <laughs> this was so. Let me channel Tim Cook here and say, but what you guys don't understand, it's not a Siri device. It's a speaker. We re- it's it's all about the sound. We're we're reinventing how stereos, how speakers work. The Siri capability is merely to play music. It's not a. It's you're thinking it's an echo. It's not an echo. It's a new kind of music listening device. But yeah, so it was Phil Schiller who said that. And oh, um, sorry, no, no worries. Channeled the but, wrong guy. Basically, <laughs> he was saying like so. He's giving us the history of how the HomePod was made, right? So it's been in development for six years on and off. Like they tabled it for a little bit in between. And um, so they started it before Apple Music even launched, before they even bought uh, Beats even, and before HomeKit came out, right? So the the HomePod comes out after this. I mean, it's in development before that, but all this stuff comes out in the middle. 
And then suddenly they had to get this HomePod to work with these new services that Apple has, you know. So that's, that's, you can kind of get the sense of why it was so chaotic to develop this thing. But then you, when you try it, you're going to realize like, hmm, this thing doesn't really seem like it's that polished. It doesn't really seem like it's, it's, it's done. So, I mean, how much can you justify it being that dumb? You know, it sounds amazing. It sounds great. But if you're See, competing. This is where I would disagree. Okay. I don't think mm-hmm. it sounds that amazing. Okay. I think Apple fails on all fronts. Now, it sounds <laughs> yeah. good. It wow. sounds fine. It's good. That's the first I've heard. Okay. Yeah. Because, look it. I'll <laughs> read some of the headlines. Apple HomePod review. This is Joanna Stern. Super sound, but not super smart. They agreed with you. Uh, the the iMore folks. Retina for your ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know about that. Uh, oh, wow. Neil Patel in The Verge said... Uh, I am a speaker fanatic, and he showed off his analog stereo, and I think this sounds amazing, but there's a problem. There's something called physics, and I, you know, I know that, uh, that you know, the Australian prime minister thinks that physics is not an immutable law, but I think physics is an immutable law, and this, which is not a HomePod, it's just an amazing simulation, uh, this is too small to really be a great speaker. So I think if you're going to say it sounds good, you really should add the clause, it sounds good for its size. Sure. It uh, yeah, that, that's Precise. a good point. And it definitely does fill up the whole room like, like a that's small size That's one thing that's interesting because it has really tweeters loud. all around it, so it doesn't need – you don't need to sit in front of it. Everywhere is mm-hmm. equal. Yeah, and that's it. I'm not an audiophile, so I'm not going to pretend that I know great details about like these seven tweeters and all that stuff and have like a great attention to detail when it comes to sound. But you know, it sounds really good to me compared to a lot of speakers I've tried. But I don't think that really justifies the fact that Siri is quite inadequate compared to how, how it even is on the iPhone or how it's compared to Alexa even. Like, here's a, here's a thought experiment, guys. So imagine if Apple had waited another year and made all those features work that are missing on Siri and released it as it is with nice music, nice sound, and all those nice features working as a virtual assistant well there's another problem mm-hmm. it only works with apple music it's it here's my opinion this that's thing another is, yeah this mm-hmm. is designed for somebody who is bathing in the warm glow of the apple sure. bath right this is for yeah. somebody because mm-hmm. you can't even set it up if you don't have an iphone or an ipad you right can't, you not even a mac can't, or you a can't mac. use a mac yeah you cannot use it without an mm-hmm. iphone or an ipad Wow. Okay. That's insane. So this is a product designed for somebody who's absolutely in the, I mean, I'm not going to say Apple sheep, but somebody who's really (laughs) in the Apple ecosystem (laughs) and wants something that is already a subscriber to Apple Music, wants something that works with Apple Music. It sounds fine for its size. My issue is... You know, I uh, we did a comparison yesterday on the new screensavers. We compared the Invoke, the Harman Kardon, which did not sound as good. The Sonos One, which is Sonos's small Play One speaker with Amazon Echo built in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which actually wasn't as good, but was close. In, and it's half the price. You could buy two and get a stereo pair. That might yeah. be fairly competitive. We compared it or to... Or get a Play 3 and an Echo Dot, right? Like, there are other com- ways to do compared that. Compared to a Play 3 or a Play 5... I don't think the Apple's HomePod is as good. And I guess the point I would really make is if you want a good speaker, if you want good sound, this is how I think of it. Uh, You know, I brought this up. Keith Richards, the guitarist for the Rolling Stone, wrote most most of their songs with Mick Jagger. He got his musical education listening to a tinny transistor radio in bed, listening to a pirate radio station mm-hmm. out in the ocean. It sounded crappy, but that's how he heard Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters and became, you know, a music fanatic. Paul McCartney, same thing. I mean, you can, you're still getting some music, but 
there's all the music that you would hear in a live performance. And then with each smaller device, each less capable device, you get less and less of the music. Mm -hmm. If you're really into music, you should freaking get a stereo. Spend a little bit more money and get a stereo. <laughs> get two speakers and sit at the apex of the triangle and listen. And if I put the, and I did this, put the HomePod in the middle and listen to my stereo. It's not, mm -hmm. it's like a different song. It's like different music. It's completely a different experience. You're getting a half, a quarter of the full experience when you listen yeah. to the home button. So for Apple to say, well, no, no, it's not a Siri device. It's a new way of thinking about music is wrong. And, and you know, yeah. the deal breaker for me, too, that, that I wrote about in the review is it was picking the wrong music for me. You know, despite all the shortcomings of Siri or in addition to all the shortcomings, I was trying to go along with like, oh, this should be primarily about music. This should be great at playing music. And, you know, in the Apple Music app, I selected all my favorite artists. They are like, you know, Smiths, Radiohead, Talking Heads, blah, blah, blah. And instead of picking artists similar to mine, I would ask Siri, play some music, and it would play Dashboard Confessional, which I'm sorry. I hate that <laughs> I band can, so I can much. Beat that. I, I can hate beat it that. so much. I said, listen to classical music. Right. It played old school hip hop. Okay. Classical so, for some, but not what I was going for. Sure. I, I mean, you know, I like NWA as much as the next guy, but I was thinking something a little bit more mellow. I don't know. I baroque or something, and find, I finally. And part of that is because Apple is Apple Music's problem, not the HomePod's problem, right? I, I thought Apple Music was supposed to be better. So I'm not personally an Apple Music user. I use Spotify, but you know, I had tested it before, and these for you playlists more or less had some pretty, uh, pretty spot on playlists generated for me mm -hmm. back in the day Spotify's when I was testing good, this. Spotify is really good too. Um, so when I first turned on the HomePod, I said play some music. I expected it to look at my history of what I listened to on Apple Music and also the artists that I picked, which is pretty <laughs> obvious. And it was picking, playing all this random stuff. Yeah. Dashboard Confessional being one. Lee Ray Francis, I've never listened to. Uh, Selena Gomez, I, I don't even know who these oh, people you are, really. Selena Gomez. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, it's, somehow it's, it thinks I'm a 17-year-old or something. I, well, I, I think that's, I think in general, that is Apple Music. It's it's aimed at a, at a generation, you know, that is a little, even you who are <laughs> a lot younger than me. supposed to be listening to what I like. That's the yeah. whole point of it. So that was really yeah. the deal breaker Well, and for go, me. by the way, go look in Apple Music for classical music. Good luck finding it. <laughs> Seriously, mm. it's oh, not. Yeah, here's, here's the thing. Yeah, here's the thing, though. You, you make a good point about is this a if you really want the audio experience then get a stereo but the point of all these devices uh the, the sonos the echo the invoke which i have one of here um and this HomePod, the whole point of it is that you shouldn't have to whip out a phone or an ipad you should be able to just drive the thing by talking right right um it's the and so even if it isn't as intelligent as the others, even if it doesn't have the full Siri experience, you should at least be able to go through the basics and say, play this, play that, play the other thing, get my entire music collection from the cloud, play this album or that album. And from what I understand, it doesn't do that. And if it doesn't do that, I, you know, I think Brian's absolutely right. Why did they ship this thing? There's a case to be made sometimes for shipping things early when they have to be out in the world and people have to be interacting with them so that so that the engineers can get feedback and they can fine tune the thing quickly. But that's not the case here. They just 
ship this thing before it was ready. And given the amount of money that Apple has in the bank, I just don't understand why. Yeah, it mm-hmm. almost feels like they have competitive pressure because uh, Amazon made a killing during the holidays. They slashed the price of the Echo to 85 from 99. I think those are the numbers. Um, and, and so, you know, they, they have more pressure than ever to put this thing out. But at the same time, Apple has been saying for years, like, we don't rush to be first, right? We're fine with being later and doing a better job than everybody else. And in this case, I mean, I think they could only say that, you know, maybe Leo disagrees, but they did better with audio quality, but they really mm-hmm. just dropped the ball on everything else. It's decent for what it is. I, you know, there are times when you would want a HomePod. For instance, I, in the kitchen, it's great because you don't stand... There, I mean, if you're listening to music, you don't always get to sit in the you know, sweet spot with two speakers left and right. Yeah. You're in the kitchen, you're cooking, you're moving around. And it's great for that because of the tweeters all the way around. And mm-hmm. it sounds good no matter where you are. So I think it's, but it's a single, it's a mono speaker. They don't have any stereo option. Well, you can add a second speaker that plays at the same time like no, next said, to it. They, you can in a future software update. That's in that's, a future <laughs> update. And that's my point, right? It's not done. Yeah. So mm-hmm. why didn't they wait like six months or something to ship a perfectly polished product that would have been really nice? I think mm-hmm. I blame Apple a little bit because I think the white earbuds that they shipped with the iPhone and the iPod before it degraded the musical yep. tastes of a whole generation. That people who grew up with crappily mm-hmm. compressed music on crappy earbuds. You mean the AirPods or the. No, no, no. Oh, just the wired just ones. for yeah. years. The original. Yeah. The original. Music classic. for a whole generation meant an iPod with white. Mm-hmm earbuds in mm. and that is not frankly very good quality right and and i don't want apple to start saying how great this sounds because i think it's doing a disservice mm-hmm. to people who could hear a lot more of the music you can't get a speaker that size for 350 bucks that's going to be a great speaker you can't it's great for its size uh and i think there are even better speakers for that price frankly yeah so the the, the sonos play 3 is what 300 yeah, I think, um, and that thing sounds a lot better. I think say, so. Just as it has more bass for one thing. It has more bass, but you know, to Apple's credit, I think what they did really well with the HomePod is that uh, you can push that thing to max volume, and uh, it, it won't handle, distort. Like, it does handle high nothing volume. distorts. I think partially because it doesn't really go <laughs> as max as some other things. Right? We were comparing it to the Google Max. Um, and that thing goes much louder and then you start to hear like the bass starts to distort and, uh, you know, some of the high notes. Um, so you could see that Apple's trying to balance something here, but I think you're onto something, Leo, like everybody who grew up, uh, with iPods or just in general, we got used to okay sounding music and most people just don't have speakers in their homes. I think that's a even with thing surround, too. even like with surround, maybe because uh, people my age that's might because surround thing. yeah because yeah. you're watching movies on your big screen like TV. I, I have all that stuff but I know I'm way in like the minority here but I think more general, people like, than you think have mm-hmm. have uh, home home theater systems right maybe not hmm. I don't know it's a, it's a good one. portion of people but it's no, not I'm no. talking like mainstream consumers so like just listening to music you know in your home with speakers and this is, is something that kind of died off I and know. this people is good bought, for that people yeah. in my generation bought the stupid Bose sound acoustic wave oh god radio, <laughs> and those were right? terrible the Paul those Harvey never was, good. yeah I mean there's <laughs> so I don't know but and by the way my, my a, big Mm-hmm. My ears are shot from years of wearing headphones <laughs> and listening to rock and roll way too loud. But I can tell the difference. Yeah. And so I figured that somebody younger with better ears owes themselves something a little bit uh, better. The Sonos Play for 3 sure. is 250 bucks, It's 100 bucks less. The, oh, wow. So yeah. the, for 50 bucks more, you can get a Play 5, which really sounds good. Uh, mm-hmm. And even then, though, 
I wish you would spend a little more and get a stereo. No. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's like the ultimate dream. I would wish more consumers would do that. But in what I love about these devices is that Sonos and everything, like it made it easy for everybody to bring music out loud back into their homes. Uh, the big downside with HomePod for me is that it's so limited, right? It's limited to Apple yeah. Music. But we're so many people are using Spotify now or you have your library of music on other devices. You know, there's no aux jack, of course. Um, There's none of the things you see even in simple Bluetooth uh, speakers these days. I really like what Logitech's been doing, honestly. Like they just released their new lineup, which has Alexa built in. And they're also like Bluetooth portable speakers that you can take around everywhere. You could put them in the shower or you could take them to the beach like we've there's so much innovation happening here. Like what HomePod offers just doesn't feel like it's enough today. Well, okay. I mean, I think we're beating a dead horse, <laughs> but uh, I just, I, it makes me feel bad. I think, Ed, you're right. I mean, I think the, the future, and by the way, this device, the HomePod, is great for podcasting, as is the Amazon Echo and even the Invoke, mm-hmm. and, because you can, by voice in your house, say, let's, you know, uh, let me listen to Twit or let me listen to your podcast and, you know, slash film. or And that's great for podcasting. It puts podcasting, in a way, ahead of radio in a way that I think is going to be very good for us. So I'm not knocking these devices. And I agree with you, Ed, that that's the... the but Apple's not selling that. Apple's selling it as a great speaker. And I think that that's, I think that's doing us a disservice. If you just said, here's a pretty good speaker that you can listen to music on in your kitchen, that's, that's what it is. Sure, mm-hmm. I'll give you that. And Ed, you're right. I mean, the Siri at least does that much. It plays music. Apple music. <laughs> the fact that it doesn't do Spotify is a, a that's going to come too. Right? I, I feel like the HomePod is going to be one of those products I might review again a year later because yeah. mm-hmm. it feels like oh by then they'll probably open it to Spotify yada yada and and all those features that I mentioned are probably going to work by then and it'll probably yeah. be a great product by then. It reminds me of the Apple Watch, which in the first couple of generations was not compelling. Yeah, but they I really think nailed it on version three. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, I'm actually wearing this now yeah. every day because yeah. Well, this is actually. Actually, this was actually the original problem with the original iPhone as well. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, most people forget that the original iPhone, uh, I mean, it didn't support apps. Uh, it, you know, it didn't, uh, it didn't have an app store. It didn't, didn't support uh, exchange mail. It had a whole bunch of things that were wrong with it. And they fixed that over the first year. Um but, but was that still... was also one of the that was also one of the things that had to go out into the world and be used by people to, to you know to improve in that fashion but and it, still, it isn't necessary with it still blew other smartphones away at the time didn't yeah. it like the keyboard is awesome and safari browser was amazing compared to the really pared down browsers on old cell phones so even though there were all these things missing like right. it's it's hard to compare with the homepod i think where like the iphone at least was a working functional product it's a like, good point the homepod's as, late to a market with a lot of competition I mean, the iPhone iPhone was late to the smartphone market as well, but it just did a better job at a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And you look back at the iPod, like that was super limited too, right? Didn't that only work with Macs for a long time, like ignoring the biggest PC market? Maybe a year or two, I don't remember. But they put it out on Windows and that's when it became really big, the iPod. For sure. You know what's funny is we come almost full circle now because Microsoft's been pushing this. They're probably at the Build Conference. They're going to talk a lot about progressive web apps, which... (laughs) Are, are exactly. different. They're different, but in a way, they're the same as the web apps for the original iPhone. The, <laughs> the idea that you would go to a website and you'd save it on your home screen, and now that's an app on your iPhone. That's what 
I'm excited about progressive web apps, though, Ed. I feel like that's a. I wish Apple would get behind that. They're being a little slow to the party. I think so too. But in you know, in both of these cases, in the case of progressive web apps and in the the whole competition with Spotify thing, what you're really seeing here is uh, is Apple protecting yes. its sort of core yes. services, and mm-hmm. in a way, that's very very um, Microsoft. Like yep. they're re- yep. they're refusing to disrupt themselves, uh, you know. And in fact, there was some uh, forget who's who wrote this last week, but somebody did a, a a study showing that Apple Music subscriptions are rising faster than Spotify subscriptions, and Apple Music will probably catch up with Spotify by maybe by the end of this year, in terms of the install base. And so, you know, a cynic could look at this and say, well, one reason that uh, Apple's not putting Spotify on this and they're making it difficult for Spotify to succeed in the Apple hardware ecosystem is specifically so that uh, Apple Music can uh, surpass Spotify in terms of market share. Mm -hmm. A lot of money there. The proof of that is there's no Bluetooth in the HomePod. Yeah, something that would allow you to open it up to a, an Android device, for instance. And you could still AirPlay, right? So you can still AirPlay yeah, from AirPlay, your iPhone or iPad so with Spotify or Apple whatever technology. Yeah, it's proprietary, and, and, but you could still use that for Spotify. So something. Well, I mean, look, so, let's look at the Apple Watch for comparison, right? So the Apple Watch, you have to have an iPhone to set it up, right? And it's still that way, even though it's it's more mm-hmm. independent than it was before. But the Apple Watch so far seems pretty successful. So, and, and you know, this is some inside information, but I've heard that they have considered uh, sharing the Apple Watch with Android phones. But what's stopping them is that so many Android people are switching to the iPhone. So why would they give people incentive to, you know, stay with Android if so many people are switching to the iPhone? You know, so that's how these decisions are made. But my point being that, you know, counter argument, the Apple Watch only works with the iPhone and yet, People seem to love it, and it's still pretty su- successful. If you're in the, you know what, I, w- I bet Ed would agree with this. The advantage of an ecosystem play like that and siloing it like that is you can make it a seamless, great experience. And Apple has done that. Uh, it, so if you live in the Apple world, you've got continuity, you know, you've got handoff, you've got all this great stuff. Uh, then your life is easy and smooth, and it's better not to have to think about these other guys and what speaker's better. You just buy the apple speaker because it's an apple speaker that's and that advantage. sounds like that sounds like laziness right like uh, what ed was saying that but is people totally are happy Microsoft <laughs> people are happy like yeah they'll drink whatever you, you know you give them but this, very, this doesn't feel like the same apple can't, that killed you can't deny it's profitable yeah, it certainly is but right apple killed the ipod market with the iphone right the iphone had to kill the ipod right like think of think of like how and apple's willing to was. do that apple's always been willing to do that which is uh, are I, they anymore Oh, you think they're not anymore? Uh, that's the, we're talking about how safe the HomePod is, and I think that's exactly good it. Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when seventy percent of your revenue as it uh, comes from the iPhone, as does Apple, right. it's pretty hard to imagine killing the iPhone. <laughs> well, just... not the iPhone, but something like killing its own services, right? Like Apple Music. Okay, it hasn't been super successful uh, initially, but, but, but as I was pointing out, it's growing. Are yeah are bigger for apple a bigger portion of their revenue than either the mac or the ipad yeah uh services are 10 billion dollars a quarter for apple so you don't want to kill those either 
Mm-hmm. In fact, you saw the Wall Street Journal said at the growth rate Apple Music's going through, uh, 5% a month, it's going to eclipse Spotify soon. I Spotify. wonder who leaked that statistic. Yeah, mm-hmm. the journal's really good at <laughs> repeating those. Convenient timing. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. to, with Spotify's about 2%. They don't include, of course, the free tier, which Apple doesn't have, and Spotify has hundreds of... Uh, mm-hmm. mm, they have a three-month trial or something, yeah. or is it one month? I forgot. Three months, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, so yeah, and they also so, don't count. They, and they don't count the family subscriptions either. But right. So, Ed, do you think it's? I mean, admitting that an ecosystem play is strong for Apple, you think in the long run though it's going to hurt them as it did Microsoft? Well, it has to uh, because look, I think that ju- it's a justification to say you know the seamless experience uh, is the is the goal here. That's mm-hmm. a that's a great rationalization, but the reality is there's just so much money coming into Apple's coffers. And when you sit down in a product meeting and somebody says, um, okay, I've got this great idea, and uh, but it's going to hurt this business that's bringing us $10 billion a quarter, uh, there's somebody there who's going to say, nope, we don't do that. We're not going to do that. And that ultimately, once the numbers get that big, once the, the, the fiefdoms, the individual fiefdoms within you know, the giant spaceship there become powerful enough, then they start to uh, they, they start to block innovation and they start to build moats around each of their businesses. And mm-hmm. I, I've seen that I've seen that play happen before. It's what happened to Microsoft in, uh, you know, it led to Windows Vista. <laughs> and I have on, yeah, I have on my wall. Uh, and I'm very happy to have it, a signed copy of uh, this fabulous cartoon from Bonkers World of the various org charts. And, of course, Microsoft's was all the fiefdoms shooting at all the other fiefdoms. And, it, yeah, it really it hurt Microsoft badly. And, it, and actually, to Satya Nadella's credit, I think he's 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 changed Microsoft and the, and the attitude is very mm-hmm. different now. It's uh, dramatically and it's, yeah. and it's made a difference in the, in their operations. Significantly. For sure. Yeah. I feel like I bring this up every time I come on, but it does feel like Microsoft is doing a lot of the Apple stuff, right? Like the surface, uh, the innovation behind the surface laptops, the surface book, the surface studio that you're using right now, Leo, like these cool new devices that we're sitting here and watching Apple take away the ports people actually use on their MacBook pros and give us keyboards that I, everybody hates. Everybody hates that keyboard. And like, I, I don't see we're seeing any indication that that's going to be fixed eventually. Like Apple's just going with the super flat design. A lot of things that we expect Apple to fix, we're just not seeing anymore. And that's worrying me, honestly. Like, um, I, I think to me, like Tim Cook is feeling more and more like Steve Ballmer. Like he's doing a good job of really, you know, pushing every product line and keep ramping everything up. But I don't know if we're going to see the innovation that we're kind of used to expecting from Apple. Amazon uh, made some acquisitions this year, some big ones. In fact, they kept buying our sponsors, which is which is fine. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad they're doing well, including uh, Jamie's Ring. But why? We don't know exactly how much. Initially, we thought it was a billion dollars. Now uh, I'm seeing from Recode uh, numbers closer to 1.2 to 1.4. A billion dollars. Uh, now, Ring is a sponsor. We should mention we do Ring ads all the time. I take some responsibility for Ring's success. I will get zero of this money, but I'm happy for Jamie and his team because that's uh, that's a that's a really nice. Here's the question: Why Amazon Key? Well, 
But they already have key, right? They tried. Remember, they tried to buy August. Yeah. That fell through. In fact, August was pretty pissed off. They feel like August, that Amazon found out how everything worked right. and then said, okay, well, never mind. And they built the, shortly thereafter, they built the key system, which allows an Amazon delivery person. This expands on that. Into though. your house. There's a camera. There's a lock. <clears throat> they can open the lock. The camera watches them while they put the package in the door and they leave. Is that available in Houston? Have you tried it? Yes, it is available. I, I have not tried it. Uh, I know uh, somebody who has it. And they love it. We have a real problem in Houston, as in a lot of other places, right. with uh, people stealing packages. Houston, I believe Houston is the place, I think it is, where the guy invented the box where you pick it up and a shotgun shell goes off in the box and, and scares the uh, person. Yes. <laughs> I Only think in Texas, my friend. Only in yeah, Florida really. and some states. But um, but that is a uh, but it's, it's, it's such an issue here. that I, The guy loves it. You know, he, does, he doesn't mind at all. And uh, I just could not do that. There's just no way I would allow that. And what, what I we've couldn't seen do hacks. My dog would bite the guy, so that yeah. would be a problem. <laughs> well, then, uh, my other problem is that it's the Amazon Logistics, which I don't know what it's like in Houston, but in Amazon Logistics in it's Petaluma is some person that you did not in a uniform in a normal car because they kind of right. do it like Uber <laughs> where they just they, they list deliveries that they have and somebody says, okay, I'll do those. And so to me, that's like somebody – like just somebody off the street coming in my house – yeah. Now I don't have the problem with packages getting stolen because I have a Ring video doorbell, and so right. <laughs> so maybe maybe that's the I don't know. Um, so is that I mean, why I, they bought it? Uh, they want to replace Key with Ring, or, or expand those reason. services, I or have? Oh, I think it ties in. It's, I think it ties in with the whole ecosystem for both. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we look at Amazon, Google, and, and Apple are all competing to to own your home and have as many devices in your home as possible. And I think it ties in with the Echo. And I'm sure that they will continue to find ways to integrate it. I suspect they're already integrated to some extent. But it's Amazon really having a a, a really uh, a robust offering of home devices. And I think they're going to have more of them. Does Ring do anything other than a, a doorbell? They have door – basically yeah, they have it's a, a doorbell – for the a front lock. door, and then they attach the doorbell to lights, so it has security lights. Yeah, kind of the same thing. But they did remember this; they were going to launch last Christmas a security a home security system, and ADT mm -hmm. sued them. And I think that lawsuit's over. In fact, my understanding is, shortly before Amazon bought them, Ring settled for a larger amount than they were agreed. You know, they suddenly said, oh, "Okay, here's twenty five million." And the ADT suit went away. So they have now on their page, they are selling their home security are, system. Are they currently in, integrated to Alexa in any way? Yes, totally. Yeah, that's what I figured they would be. <laughs> yeah. In. yeah. So, but, so, but so everything, that actually. Everything is. Correct, everything yeah. is. That doesn't give right. them an exclusive by any means. No, no. No, but it so means here's they a can crazy value. theory. Yeah. Um, so Amazon is famous for a number of things. And one of them is having a kind of quasi Orwellian employee situation where they watch their employees oh wow in a microcosmic way they oh, everyone's wow. clocked in they monitor their location they and and they're about to launch inevitably into this world where amazon is directly amazon employees will be doing the lion's share of deliveries to oh, to the front yes, door yes. and this is a way for them to monitor their own employees and their performance and their behavior Interesting. Wow. In, but you have to have so many of those rings installed. Not everybody's going to put those uh, in there. That's that and what about sense the, in that sense. The privacy. So if, if if I have a ring in my house, does Amazon have the right to look at the video? Okay. That, that so my ring this is, is recording. Something, 
This is something that I've been uh, kind of pursuing uh, recently. I've asked Amazon several times pointed questions about exactly what they do in terms of do they listen when they're not listening to the keywords and are they doing are they doing experiments where they have uh, Alexa doing things that people don't necessarily expect. And whenever I ask those questions, they they just stop interacting with me. They don't answer them. And that doesn't mean that they're doing those things. It doesn't mean anything nefarious, but it does mean that they have not answered those questions yet. That's so odd. I've 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 read their their terms of service. There's nothing in the terms of service that I can find that prohibits them from monitoring video feeds, listening in through Amazon, doing any of these things. And I think it's an underexplored area. We have this black box that we're putting in every house. And I'm mm -hmm. not a you know a conspiracy theory minded person or suspicious of tech companies uh, as a rule. But in this case, I'm a little concerned about Amazon because they're they're so they hold it so close to the vest. They don't tell us exactly what they're doing. They have a history of, for example, with the Fire Phone, of when you when you take a picture of something, they're also transmitting the audio back to Amazon and doing God knows what with it. So there's a there's a I don't think they've earned our trust yet. They're not transparent enough yet. And I think that uh, it behooves those of us in the in the media to keep pushing them to find out exactly what their intentions are, what they do, what they don't do, uh, and. It's especially urgent now that they have all these ring video doorbells. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because my um, my echo will sometimes talk to me even though I don't say the word. Oh, that happens and all I, the time. It's because it, it, it's it's you're watching TV, yeah. right? Or it's right. Some, or yeah. hear something else and yeah. thinks you're saying the word. I, so does way, my I Google Home, though. All of I these. I apologize for saying that word on, on, on your show because I'm sure that millions of echoes just got activated <laughs> when I said it. So. You know yeah. what? You know, it's only a problem Actually, if you're listening to the show on your echo because <laughs> then it stops the show <laughs> and, yes. start, and says, what do you want? And so that's a little <laughs> annoying. But other than that, I, you know, these things it's happen. Said, we, yeah. You know, we actually bloop it out of the uh, downloaded version. So it's only okay. people watching live yeah. that get bit by that. But uh, isn't that f that's something we decided and, to start doing, bleep, bloop it out. And here's a, here's a weird thing that may surprise some the of your listeners. Yeah. But I actually travel with both my what? Echo and also my Ring Video Doorbell. I travel with both of these. What? They're the, two of the most important things that I travel with. Yeah, everywhere we go, we plug in the, the, the Echo. We have music, we have information, weather reports. So you're all not so worried about the privacy implications that you don't use it. No. <laughs> I'm not, I'm how do you hook worried. up a doorbell? Are you renting a place or are you in a hotel? Where are you that you can hook up a doorbell? I use mounting putty and I put it outside oh, the door. I connect it to the Wi-Fi and everywhere I go. It's, and it's, it's it, got it's a one-year battery in it, uh, some of oh, them. Yeah. And so you don't have to worry yeah. about powering it. You could just... I'm going to find out where he's staying and go steal his doorbell. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You have to pull hard. That's really putty. interesting, Mike. I didn't, I didn't, I, I know you thought it was a good product for Airbnb, uh, uh, renters. Everyone because, involved yeah, in renting yeah. Airbnb should be using this. Yeah. It's just a fantastic. So the, the biggest thing, so we've, we've stayed in a lot of countries that are not necessarily safe. And we, and when you're in an Airbnb, everyone in the neighborhood knows you're a foreigner with expensive equipment and all this stuff. And so it's kind of a little bit, you get kind of nervous and with a ring video doorbell, you come back to the house before you go in, you check to see if anyone has gone in Right. and you can see oh, nobody's gone in and you walk in with confidence. Oh, that's really nice. And, so that's I, a I great a reason to do that. I, I don't have a ring ring, but I have a vivid system. And so if somebody comes to my door, I'll get a notice saying somebody's at your door. But by the time I get to look at them, they're usually gone because of the delay. Do you, do you find that you actually can often see the person in real time and interact with them before they actually leave? Absolutely. I yeah, it it's, it's, pretty, yeah. 
It's instantaneous maybe, almost. Maybe it's, mine has you know, worse latency. There's about 10 seconds, 5 to 10 seconds latency in, a, on, in worst case. But that's enough yeah, usually to catch the uh, – people wait at the door. But they ring the doorbell, they wait 10 seconds. Yeah, no, mine, mine, yeah. my latency I think is about 30 seconds. So that's that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. No, they've done it right. And I, I mean that's why Amazon bought them. But, you know, if, Amazon doesn't need to push the envelope. They're doing great. <laughs> They don't yeah. have to take chances exactly. with people's privacy. They don't even have to make acquisitions of cameras if that makes people nervous. Now, I'm not a CEO, and I never will be, so I don't maybe understand business. But why would Jeff Bezos take chances like that? Why? I mean, if, if well, why? Why? Do, their whole business model is based on algorithmically uh, determined sort of behavioral model. So they, they, if you think about what they track and what they do on the Amazon website, and even when you go beyond the website, whether they go where you, they figure out where you're going, what you're doing, how long the mouse hovers over this. Does that mean you're interested? They're, they're, they're upset and look at their grocery store, Amazon go. This is not about a convenient grocery store. This is about a physical brick and mortar grocery store that has the kind of behavioral data that their website has. And so they're obsessed with understanding what people do. And a camera is by far the most valuable sensor for figuring out what's happening in general with human behavior. They can see who's coming, who's going, what time, how long, you know, all this stuff is happening. And so so it's all they're like Google. It's it's all about the data. It's about big data and how you can plug in artificial intelligence to get inte- to get information that enables you to be more competitive in everything you do. Ten years from now, they're going to take pictures of your grocery bags as you walk in the house and figure out where you're buying your groceries and make sure that they're underbidding. Wow. You know, yeah, maybe. Wow, that's interesting. Ten years from Simple. now, we're going to look back yeah. and regret that we didn't uh, weren't more proactive in 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 fighting the growth of Amazon and Google and Facebook. Are we? <sighs> You know, I don't know. I don't think so. I think I think things change and happen so quickly that Google and Facebook and Amazon in 10 years may not be what they are now. And there may be somebody else we have to worry about fighting. Last (laughs) night, I finally had it. I read this story. There's a by the way, we've reported on this. We've been reporting on this for over a year Facebook, uh, I've told people for more than a year, don't do Facebook quizzes because Facebook allows a quiz designer not only to get all the information about you because you took the quiz, but, and this is incredibly infuriating, they also allow the quiz designer to get information about your friends. Facebook says, well, wait a minute. No, we only allow that to improve. Let me see if I can find the, the stupid quote. We're only allowing collection of friends' data to improve user experience in the app. It can't be sold or used for advertising, except that's exactly what Cambridge Analytica did. And now we know for a fact, even though we've known this for a while, we we now have a whistleblower who has told the story of how Cambridge Analytica basically stole 50 million Facebook profiles, got all the information they need. Cambridge Analytica is owned by the Robert Mercer family and was run at the time by Steve Bannon. And, of course, the information was intended to be used by by Trump uh, during the campaign. Although I don't blame Cambridge Analytica as much as I blame Facebook for even allowing this to happen. And you probably could say that other campaigns had done the same thing. 
The whistleblower um, said uh, that they, since uh, early 2014, they built a system that would profile user uh, U.S. voters in order to target them with personalized political advertisements. We exploited uh, Facebook to harvest millions of people's profiles and built models to exploit what we knew about them and target their inner demons. This was the basis the entire company was built on. You know, it's funny mm -hmm. because um, Dan Patterson, uh, who writes for me, was on this story in August of 2016. He was one of the first to write about this. Um, and he was on it from when uh, Ted Cruz's campaign were right. using Cambridge Analytica. Uh, and, he, and he was saying that there's just something fishy about this and it doesn't smell right. And um, and it's it's amazing that uh, we just didn't pay attention, that enough people did not pay attention to this. I, right? I was up in Orange a year ago. The Observer, yeah. uh, which broke this story, saw the documents, and this was confirmed by a Facebook statement that, that said that by late 2015, Facebook knew that this information had been harvested on an unprecedented scale. It did yeah. not alert users. It took only limited steps to recover and secure the private information. And in fact, this really frustrates me. When, the face, when Facebook was told by the observer that we have this information, we're going to go live with a story tomorrow, then and only then they kicked Cambridge Analytica off the platform. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. They knew. Like they knew. They knew for years. And, and really did nothing. It was, it was completely a cover-up. Of all of, of of everything that was happening to that, and the thing is, is that no company can police itself. We need to have legislation that's in place. I'm sorry, yes, legislation, government. I hear you, but no one can police themselves. The and problem this was, is, I sure I agree with you 100, percent Georgia. But Facebook's a black box to Congress and, but it, it, and to regulators. It, it can't, can't be right. They, like it can't be. We, how do you we get have that information if they don't want to give it? Well, if they want to operate in the United States, they're going to have to be able to let people know how something's run. What is the information going to be used for? Their EULAs have to be something that's readable to mm -hmm. everyone that's going to be able to deal with it. And people, we have to reinstate educating people that work in the government about technology, which, you know, so why we, we've Facebook ended up just relocate? So why doesn't Facebook just relocate to the Philippines? They're already in tight with the Philippine president. Uh, we've already seen accusations leveled at Facebook saying that they are uh, actively supporting the regime of Duarte oh, over there, who's um, horrible. Quite, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get too carried away, but carrying out terrible things against the citizens. So Facebook could just up from Silicon Valley and relocate to the Philippines and continue on, and the U.S. government has vectorly zero control, right? Yeah, it's you know, it's true. Like the thing is, there are three companies right now that are disrupting markets that are up that are turning um society upside down in so many ways and it's because they are five to ten years ahead of everybody else on data and they know more about us than we know about ourselves and they're using that data to monetize the living crap you know out of everything that they have and they are incented to keep that um, as private and as proprietary as possible because it's a gold mine, right? It's an absolute 
gold mine. Yeah. Um, and they're, obviously, they're incentive to keep it to themselves because if they give it away, they lose control. Somebody else can monetize. So the thing that yep. the thing here is that I, I bet I'm willing to bet a substantial sum of money that the executives inside of Facebook are mega pissed that someone else is making money from their data. Right? <laughs> That's True. the problem yeah. with Cambridge Analytica. <laughs> they're not making, they're not making that much. You're supposed to buy that from us. What do you get? Do and the thing that Facebook. frustrates me is I don't take Facebook quizzes because I know that that gives them your information. That's right. you know you see these quizzes: which Game of Thrones character are you? Are you smarter than a fifth grader? How's your spelling? And my I see so many people on my timeline saying, "See how smart I am! I'm in the 99th percentile in spelling." I'm saying, "You're not smart. You're a moron. You just took that quiz. That was a dopey quiz. That was made up quiz. They just wanted your personal information." But you know yeah. what really frosts me is. I don't take the quiz. Doesn't matter. My friends did. They got my information, yeah. and yeah. that's infuriating. It was, it's it's he true. Was, it was like two hundred and seventy thousand people downloaded the app, and five hundred million people's information yes. is out there. Yeah, so, so that's a huge amount of people that did not do it. And you're still because you're part of the ecosystem. In the end, the only thing that matters to Facebook is if you delete Facebook and ask them to delete all the data that they have on you because they're going to keep it anyways. And in the end, the amount of media literacy that we teach to our children and to ourselves, like we really, we, we are so easily sucked into these applications for internet points that it's pretty sad. The good news the is, thank, thanks to the EU and uh, the GDPR, Facebook now has a way to actually permanently delete your information. In the past... Uh, when you got off of Facebook, um, they would deactivate your account for six months, hoping that you would at some point accidentally log in and they go, oh, welcome back. By the way, when you leave Facebook, I should have done this on the air because it's hysterical. They put pictures of all your friends and they look sad <laughs> and they say, it literally said, Georgia Dow is so sorry you're leaving Facebook. Do you want to send her a note telling her why? It's the most offensive <laughs> emotional blackmail oh yeah yeah mg so now yeah. you can do a complete delete of your facebook data and i really think this is because coming in may they they were going to get in trouble with the eu if they didn't offer this so there's it's not yeah. just deactivating it does still take two weeks so last night uh, and I see here Facebook saying it'll take 90 days to delete all the things you've posted. Well, we'll see. Why would it take 90 days? Aren't computers a little uh, faster? Because they're, they're it's hoping not just, you're going to come back. Right. Cash. <laughs> it's not just the data that's in the primary system, but to yeah. do a complete deletion, you have to reach into all of the backups. Well, I hope they do and this. I, that they as well. bet. I really. Anyway, I have. I said this is it. The only way to really punish Facebook. Yes, they should be regulated. Mm -hmm. Yes, you mm -hmm. know Mark Warner's uh, honest ads bill should go through and they should require that just as on radio and tv political ads you should have to be identified you have to say this this ad was paid for by so and so that's not a requirement in digital advertising it should be that i hope happens but yep. it's still not gonna you, you don't we know mark zuckerberg well enough by now that's not gonna stop are we ever gonna see an adult in charge of these companies like an actual grown-up instead of these um Overblown teenagers that are, actually are sort of really so He's a grown-up. He's maximizing right? revenue. This is a grown-up who has become one of the richest men in the world. That's a grown-up. Grown-ups grown are no better. Grown-ups are no better. In the end, any of these companies, all they want to do is make money. And I get it. 
but we no, have to make it, sure that we I don't even I honestly just I don't even blame people. Facebook or the engineers they're doing what you know this is capitalism they're doing what they're they yeah. have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders to do maximize yeah. profit they're supposed to do it legally okay honestly that's probably not right but they're not completely legal but they're trying their best to be to be sort of quasi legal uh, but they're they're maximizing profit that's fine so I, instead of saying let's regulate them i'm going to vote with my feet and by the way i don't i th- this is not the first time i've quit facebook but this is the last time i've never i'm never going back i'm going to remember leo no i'm never going remember when you go back but to facebook i'm going to be like oh. i don't think i'm alone in this i, I we learned facebook even said that Two million fewer users under eighteen in uh, yeah. in the past year. I think this is the beginning of an exodus, and I really believe this might be the the final straw for a lot of users. I don't know. I suspect- the thing is, the story is the data. The data is the story, right? It's not Cambridge Analytica is not making that much money. They were able to do this because of what's what Facebook has and the data that they have, and that data is a gold mine data is the new oil data is where the money is and like i said there's three companies that are so far ahead of everybody else um microsoft not microsoft uh, google, google amazon 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 and facebook and facebook and alibaba so no there's a bunch of others tencent alibaba you're forgetting I mean, the rest of the oh, world get ready there's is, gonna be a million well, WeChat. Look, no, there's gonna be a million cent are amazing and and they're they're ahead but in terms of you know global reach right they're still so focused on the chinese market that um you know you have they will eventually be global companies but they aren't currently but those three companies um are uh and because they're in you know they are they have very very close relationships with their government um they're a bit protected for the moment um but those three companies that I mentioned, they have uh, really been able to run roughshod over the entire globe with the uh, exception of the EU and, uh, and, and basically be able to do whatever they want with all this data and be mm-hmm. um, have no transparency about what they're doing. And that's the problem. Cambridge Analytica, you know, is, is just like a, a gnat. That's that, you know, Abe was able to use this platform to siphon a little bit off. Right. Um, the real problem, the real issue is the data and the fact that we have no regulation about it. And it's getting we're getting later and later in the game. Um, and the EU and GDPR is making a difference because these companies, as well as a lot of others, you know, they essentially are making that their baseline. If they're going to have to do that there, then, you know, in Europe to, to be in that market, then then it is having an effect on what they're doing in, in other markets as well, because it's just yeah. less expensive for them to get back to fiduciary responsibility. But, you know, we still have this huge problem that we just haven't woken up to the fact that, you know, that data is the new oil and we can't let it be the wild, wild west. Yeah. Um, and even if they're operating somewhere else, if you put legislation in place that if you're operating here as well, which they want to in the States is a huge area for them. Um, so then they'll end up like, you know, falling into line. And mm. we need to in the end, what we need, though, is like media literacy. Like We need to teach our kids how to deal with social media, what's happening with it and why. And I think that, you know, old data is worth nothing. And old is like a really short period of time when we talk about the technological age. So if a lot of people, if there's an exodus from Facebook, which 
you know, in my, I don't use Facebook, so I think that would be great. Um, but most of the young kids, they're still using other sets of social media and our brains are primed for wanting to get those clicks on social media. That validation is going less and less with real people and more and more with um, internet clicks. And we're primed for that. I have to say that it's easy to leave Facebook these days because it's not that compelling, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, And if you're going to leave Facebook, you should also leave Facebook's WhatsApp and Instagram as well. Um, Mm -hmm. But I haven't left Google and I haven't left Amazon. And that'd be a lot harder to leave Google, right? Yeah. What am I going to do? DuckDuckGo is sad. DuckDuckGo, I use it. It's sad. I'm just going to say it. It's, it's hard. It's sad. And I would have to give up <laughs> yeah. Gmail. I would have to give up a yeah. lot of things. I actually did move my main mail account off Gmail. I used to use Gmail. I don't anymore. Uh, but but it's, it's a lot harder. It's easy to leave Facebook. So I'm putting a a stake in the sand here. But I admit it's challenging. And I still buy a ton of stuff from Amazon. And Amazon arguably has more real data on me than Facebook did because they know everything I purchase. They have microphones in my house. <laughs> yeah, but Amazon, Google. I think that's the the elephant in the room here is the political angle. And not, and we haven't touched on that. The, sh- the simple fact is that the, the data that Facebook let their um, partners, because these were signed up, legally obligated partners who promised not to steal the data, but they stole the data anyway, uh, highlights the fact that Facebook has very little control over its data, had very right. little, and even now has. I agree. Once you are a Facebook employee, you can basically do anything you like. And the only reason we haven't seen more of this is just sheer blind luck. Facebook seems to me to be more blatant than any other uh, of these other companies. It's it's stupid. It is the most stupid technology company. Google is not being caught up in politics. Amazon is not being caught up in politics. Facebook consistently makes horrendous unforced errors in the face of every political situation. So every time something comes out about Russia, Facebook says, no, no, not us, not us. And then somebody comes up with the evidence and say, oh, yeah, you got us. And then it goes through again. So frustrating. So, so Greg, you're saying that them asking for all the information to be destroyed wasn't enough for them to do because they just asked and then they were they were okay with it. They said that they did. There's nothing they they can do. All they can do is legally say, yeah, you have to agree and sign an agreement. And if they find out later on, then they can sue, blah, 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 blah. But the horse has got the, you know, the gates open, the horse is gone. But the real issue here is that Cambridge Analytica was a UK company funded by alt-right run by Steve Bannon, which is in Trump's government. Um, The whole alt-right got involved in the Brexit thing here in the UK. We've now got the Information Commissioner's Office in the UK announcing that they will open an investigation into this whole issue. So Facebook is now under fire. You're talking about the right wing of the the American government is now looking at Facebook going, are you with us or are you against us? Then you've got Cambridge Analytica getting onto the right wing over here and they're using it and they're trying to say... This is scary. Yeah. I mean, if I'm you're saying? an author- so, if you want to create an authoritarian regime, Facebook's your best friend, and that's exactly what they've done in the Philippines under Duarte. Same thing in uh, Myanmar. Same things happening in many other countries. Facebook has been co-opted by uh, by governments, strongman governments, to control the population and to control the flow of information. And there's no reason for Facebook to stay in the U.S. It could just bunk out at any time, except for the fact that the U.S. is the market which generates the most revenue for them. But they could probably just scoot off if they needed to, if they thought the pressure. And they're childish enough. I mean, your average Silicon Valley executive has the uh, you know the mental uh, brain power of a 16-year-old with a lot of hormones. They're so competitive. They're so inwardly looking. They're so focused on you know winning 
they're not focused on the money as much as they are on the winning. They're socially incompetent to the level where I'm winning if I'm making more money. Right. And so they're not actually following capitalism. They're not following any rules of society. They're just trying to win blindly, aggressively, over and over and over, win, win, win. And the way that I keep score about winning is to make more money. And at some point, that's going to come off the rails because there's no more money to make, I suspect, or something else happens. In, in, so just to play devil's advocate here, um, I, I do think that to a degree, Mark Zuckerberg's aware of the problem. Um, and I think you've seen him the last couple of years in pretty clear some statements knowing that like this thing has gotten out of control and he knows there's some serious problems. I mean, his number one, like his New Year's resolution, right, for this year was fix Facebook. Like that's a pretty bold statement. That's basically telling everybody, including your shareholders, that something's broken. And needs to be fixed. Yeah, only that after someone shoved his face right into it. They did, he didn't true. work it out for himself. Somebody had to slam his face well, into the desk and go, look, bang, bang, bang. He got His head got slammed into the desk 10, 12, 14 times before he went, oh, yeah, there's a problem. No, no <laughs> doubt. But he did admit it. He, he didn't just, you know, he wasn't just blathering so on he about, He says you know, fix it. But I'd be interested to see what he's actually doing to fix it. You know, yeah, the latest thing is yeah. Facebook told CNN, oh, it was a rogue employee. We figured yeah. out it was a rogue employee that gave up all that information. So it wasn't our fault. My real problem is that if you're a normal person using Facebook, it's a very attractive thing. It's how you stay in touch with family and friends. You discover your high school sweetheart and what she's been up to. It's very attractive. Facebook acts as if you're giving them information, but they're keeping it private. You have control of it. You say who's a friend, who's an acquaintance, who is not to see your stuff. They really act as if you know, you are controlling that information. They don't tell people that when you take a quiz, you're giving all your information to that company and yeah. you're giving up all your friends. I mean, you're yeah, Facebook little, doesn't do it. They don't tell you do that. that they don't do it anymore because they realize that giving away the data meant other people were making money off Facebook's platform. Oh, they don't, they don't do that third parties? Uh, no, I don't think so. They're, they they're they're do still. They you, can check it, you can check it on or off if you choose. But people usually don't even read that or know what they're doing. I think that, you know, I would love to think that that Zuckerberg is actually, you know, wants to fix Facebook because who knows what that means. But the best way to tell of someone's behavior in the future is by their behavior in the past. And they waited two years to be able to deal with this. They were not transparent about it. They only deleted them from their system when they found out. And the information was still there anyways. So we know that in the end, they're they're most important thing was Facebook and keep saving face and making the most amount of money. So no, I don't think that they really want to make a difference in the world or try to do the right thing. I think that they'll only do that if they have to, or if it ends My up hurting their bottom line by people deleting Facebook. And in the end, that's really like legislation I think is important, but I think that you're right, Leo, that, you know, deleting Facebook is the biggest message that you could send to them. And if there's a huge exodus, they'll start to listen. Legislation that Facebook wrote went into effect or or went up for a vote and looks like will go into effect in the state of Maryland. Oh, that all, and tell that us about simultaneously. that. What was that? Right. So if you'll remember, uh, every big media outlet was, was touting their exclusive sit down with Sheryl Sandberg. And of course, she was on a media tour where over and over again, she talked about industry leading um, thought idea, like industry leading thoughts, industry leading ideas, industry leading policies, which is all lobbyist code for regulation. So days before, like while she's doing this and days before Zuckerberg shows up on the Hill, um, 
Facebook was meeting with lawmakers in different states, one of them being Maryland, where, uh, and I can find the link to this, but Facebook wrote the legislation. See, on the surface of this, this sounds like good legislation. Plans to regulate political ads on Facebook. Right? Right, but they, so, so like nothing is like, everything that happened with Zuckerberg giving testimony, that was all, um, that was all for show. That was all for show. But, but. And so everybody was making fun of it and they were very distracted. But on the back end, um, we were getting scraped on the back end. <laughs> we got <laughs> scraped on the back end, folks. So Will Castleberry, Facebook's vice president for state policy, says, well, yeah, we helped draft the Maryland legislation and we look forward to implementing it. Uh, now, that doesn't that's not Wait. necessarily bad. That means they want to get the heat off of them. Maybe they found a way that they think will help. We believe. But Leo, look, look, go back. So, so this was. We the believe thing. this bill will be a national model for the, for other, the other forty-nine states, states to follow, avoiding, right. by is, the way, federal regulation, right? Right, and if there's some regulation that gets started, that takes all of the heat off of right. Zuckerberg because technically nobody broke any laws. Um, that that's that's so. This is all about avoiding. This is all about showing up in public, keeping the share price high, and avoiding federal uh, regulation. So part of the problem is that the laws that affect broadcasters about political ads, that they have to, for instance, reveal who bought the ad, don't apply to digital. Right. Uh, and this is the honest – this is the the federal laws, the Honest Ads Act. Is Facebook supporting the Honest Ads Act? I think they are. Or not. This, this Maryland law looks a lot like the Honest Ads Act. It says uh, – this is an article uh, from the Baltimore Sun. It resembles legislation in Congress – aimed at monitoring political advertising on social media. It would affect Google, by the way, as well as Facebook. New York, California, Connecticut also weighing their own measures. Um, we want to keep the platforms accountable. I'm trying to find the whether, part where it says what. Yeah, whether they are or <laughs> not, they will, they will have to. Really what all of this is about at the end is that, um, and I know I've said this before on the show, but there's three companies that know data better than anybody else, and they're eating the world, they're disrupting industries, and they are um, undermining um, pr- the privacy of people every single day, more and more, right? Facebook, Amazon, and Google. And they're doing it largely with a black box of data that they control, and that, you know, data being the new oil, they're using that to become one of the, you know, three of the most powerful companies in the history of humanity. Um, and the transparency issue is, the pro- is a big part of the issue. Facebook, the least transparent. Amazon, somewhere in the middle. Google, a little bit more transparent of what they do with the data and all that. So all of these companies, you can bet over the next, uh, over the coming years, are going to be under enormous pressure to tell what data they're actually collecting, what they do with it, what it's worth to them, and what uh, you know they can do to actually empower people to better understand this and take you know responsibility for it. Well, it is so interesting. I think what you said is such a great summary of what we're dealing with here, and and the analogy as data as the new oil is a really compelling one. And what's fascinating about that is this is the first time probably in human history, when the oil or the diamonds or the gold yeah. or whatever it is, is actually us. us. Yes. And we're being mined. We're being mined. We're being mined for our money. It's like, it's basically an outgrowth of the advertising industry plus a lot more on top of that. 
And shouldn't we at least know when we're being mined, right? Yes. And when we're offering up bits of ourselves to somebody who's going to then turn around and sell to us. It's almost like we are giving something away and then being asked to buy it back through purchases <laughs> yeah. that we make I, due I to targeting. I have to say, though, that on the face of it, the idea that, uh, that Facebook would work with Maryland legislators to try to craft something that is both you know, helpful and, and something that Facebook could, could live with is not necessarily a bad thing. That's how politics works, Amy, right? You, you're trying right, to reach consensus. Right, and it's consensus. not unprecedented. Not right, at all. Every, I mean, that, that is what lobbying is. Yeah. Right? Yep. So, I mean, that's the, I think that, you know, my job is to collect data and to figure, and to model it and to figure out what all of it means and how, what the next order risk and opportunity is many, many years into the future. Right. But one of the, early signals that we look for are contradictions. So to me, it was very, like these were some weak signals that I was paying attention right. to over the past couple of weeks. The fact that um, sort of quietly this legislation was being written, it potentially becomes the model. It eludes some regulatory challenges right around the same time that it becomes apparent that our data is being continually mined, refined, and productized, um, but in ways that we may not have thought through or intended. Like, all this sort of constellation of interesting facts and and uh, data over the past couple of weeks, you know, I think points us in a direction that we should be concerned about. But it's hard to be concerned and to really think through things when the spectacle is so fascinating and fun. I mean, it was fun to watch all of this happening, right? Yeah. Was it fun for everybody, though? I mean, I think it was fun for us. It didn't look like it was but fun I, for Mark. I think that most people, if <laughs> oh, you I ask them, Mark like... Did you see what happened this week? They'd be like, oh, yeah, Mark Zuckerberg, he looks like data from Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's it. That was it. That's what most people got out of that. Mark Zuckerberg that's is boring. You think, you think, Amy, that Mark walked away saying, yes, victory? Um, I mean, I would have if yeah. I was him. Yeah. He, he escaped any serious questions. Clearly, I mean, did you hear some of the questions? I think it was Senator Orrin Hatch who was trying to suss out whether or not Facebook and Twitter were kind of the same thing. I know. And I think one I of the know, questions... depressing. I, I might have him confused with Lindsey Graham, but somebody asked the question, um, is Twitter the same as Facebook? And it's like... Huh? It wasn't even rhetorical. Ooh, it wasn't... Yeah. I mean... Yeah. You know, so, I mean, he escaped unscathed. If he had come on... You know, if he, if he had gone in front of people who um, wouldn't have had to ask... You know, people were asking questions about, like, whether or not... Even if you log out of Facebook you're still being tracked. It's a clear indication that they don't understand cookies, right? Yeah. Um, so like if he had actually faced people that, that asked serious questions or if anybody who was up there that didn't understand the tech could have and, and would have pressed on the, the other sort of civil liberties piece of this, um, I, I think it would have been different. I think the platform was designed not to uh, even allow that chat if somebody wanted to. Be, and I, I, I observed this before it began. I said... Uh, this is really just going to be a, a, a chance for a member of Congress to stand up, say something that they can use in an ad later. Because in the Senate, they got five minutes. Yeah. In the House, they got four minutes. There was no time for follow-up. Uh, right. Mark very cleverly uh, used up the clock by you know, doing longer answers, which many members of Congress were at pains to interrupt trying to get their second question in. Yeah. yeah. Even right. drank his water slowly. Yeah. Whoever designed it, uh, designed it with Facebook in mind, frankly. It wasn't – so yeah. – um, I, I don't know that the. I don't want to be. A I don't want to be Alex Jones here and a conspiracy theorist. 
But we, I don't think it's conspiracy just to say that that you know they're they're in each other's pockets. Well, they they played the they game. They literally relied on Facebook to get elected. I mean, that was a good, you know like. <laughs> How much money did each one of those? There's a great story somewhere. Somebody they all got money somebody. for Mark, and not just the tangible, not the obvious money, but every one of them relied on Facebook to get elected. Every one of them. That's the, a so, larger issue that probably isn't for us, but there's the larger political issue. We talked about this on Wednesday. There's an economic theory. I think it's called the Peltzman theory. That there are three constituents here. There's there's monopolies, big business. There's politicians, and there's users and they each have kind of differing goals uh the politicians want to get reelected. the users want to pay less or you know in the case of facebook where it's free maybe um i don't know get spied on less and the big businesses want as minimal regulation as they can get to continue on with what they're doing and what happens is you get this kind of nice little feedback loop and everybody gets kind of what they want nobody is 100 percent happy but at the same time we don't get any kind of the, the 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 voters really don't get any kind of privacy protection or regulation of these companies because that's not what politicians are looking for. They, in fact, Facebook's very helpful to them. They're not trying to shut down Facebook. No, and if you, there was somebody, I wish I could remember who wrote this piece, but there was a piece sort of documenting which politicians went up to Zuckerberg afterward and basically fawned over him. Yeah, we're so well, of proud course. of what you he's started in your he's dorm a room. Maker. We can't. This is this is the symbol of American success. There was, I don't think, a lot of interest in actually angering or unsettling him outside of that grandstanding, yeah. for sure. But I think it would be interesting to talk for a second about whether or not people would have the appetite to pay for a service like Facebook. We were just talking about they that. They brought in that up. Journalism, they brought it up. People yeah. have been bringing it up for the whole week. Hey, what if we paid for it? Do you need to change your business model, Facebook? And I think this is, again, I keep coming back to this, but it's sort of a personal responsibility thing. I don't think that there's any actual appetite for paying for social media. As soon as no, any service starts to bring up a fee, people freak out and yeah. walk away, which is weird because we'll pay, what, like $12, 13 $14 to go to the movies? Yeah. It's yeah. kind of confounding. As much you know, time as people spend on it. I mean, I, I completely agree completely i never thought people would pay for the information either that it would survive more than a year but but they did eventually well there's targeted. a key difference though there, there have been plenty of studies the information was always a paid product right um right, the right. challenge is there's a there's a cognitive bias once it's that free happens yeah when something has been all yeah. when something was free yeah. and now you're being compelled for whatever reason to pay that you know, it feels like something is being taken away from us. And historically speaking, regardless of what industry or field it is, we won't do it. When right. it, it does, won't it does work sometimes. Like think about um, with cell phones. We com we completely destroyed the value of cell phones for about five or six years there, and then the, eventually we got to the point where now we're paying you know whatever forty bucks a month or thirty bucks a month or um, or you know having to buy one separately. But it was a different type of phone. That the the free you're talking about the free model. Right, right. Well, you know, when you it used to be, you get a free upgrade, you get, you know, you right. pay $200 for your phone, which was really, you know, massively subsidized. Now you're Japan, paying, everybody's you would paying get the phones price. for free. You would get a free phone. Uh, when I lived there, the, the, the early smartphones were free. You just signed up for the service. But once the truly smartphones hit, so the not, you know, so like my, the first smartphone that I had was an iMode. Um, from Entity Dogomo, which was a totally different kind of phone. Everything else was free, but you had to pay for that. 
um, you know, we've shifted over to the fancy models like that people pay for um, because there's never been an alternative. There's never been a way not to pay for a brand new iPhone. There's also this sort of half paid model. I mean, I live in Berkeley. There's a regional news site called Berkeley Side, which I'm a huge fan of. They've done a fantastic job creating a serious local publication that's internet only. And um, it's first in the nation. They just raised a million dollars from its readers in a direct public offering. Wow. Interesting. Small local wow. news. Isn't that interesting? High quality that's product. That's Berkeley, though. Totally free. That's Berkeley. Still. But no, still, that's Berkeley. A, there's something to be said, model. though. Yeah. Like, you do a very good job, and then you say, look, and, and it's kind of the NPR model, too, right? Like, yeah. please pay for this yeah. thing. <laughs> we're going to give it to you for free, but we're going to use guilt. Guilt works. I mean, <laughs> guilt absolutely works. It's not democratic, I, though. I it's think... fundamentally undemocratic. And that's part of the problem I have is that. Uh, uh, news, especially, I'm kind of the opinion software, all software should be free, that the paid software model is a broken model. And certainly social networks should all be free and news should be free. You've got to find other ways to monetize it because it's undemocratic to say that only people who can afford right. news should be able to get the the good news and the rest of you are going to get fake news and crappy news and link baity news. That's yet, not right. And yet when Freedom of the Press started, like everybody had to pay to get that cheat, you know, yeah, the, the broad the, sheet, the broad sheet yeah. right? So it's one of the reasons but, we've never charged for Twitter. one bought it and then other, other people They'd share said it. they shared it, talked yeah. about it, yeah. mm-hmm. whatever, shared it around, you know. So I, I think that it's kind of HBO model. <laughs> like we know people steal it, but some of you are going to pay for it and it all works out in the end. The LA Times it, accidentally ran a new business model experiment. Uh, without their, without even realizing it, a couple weeks ago, their uh, page loads times were like really, really slow, and people couldn't figure out what was going on. And a friend of mine was taking, was like poking around, and um, somebody was mo- using their site to mine for bitcoins. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> so they had been hacked in a weird way, <laughs> oh but <my> god. <laughs> also maybe like a genius way to raise some cash. Yeah. Right. Just not for the LA Times, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and to to close the loop on the Facebook thing, I, I do think. You know, Facebook is primarily over and, and you know, every under 30, there's hardly any people, you know, that are actively engaged on Facebook. So what's next is is the important question. And for the, the hearings themselves, I think that you have to take what happened, not just in the event itself, which was somewhat sad and disappointing and, uh, you know, not what it could have been or should have been. But think of it as a first step or maybe second step, right? Because they did call after the election a few of these tech heads before um, uh, the Congress to testify. Um, Again, it's about the scrutiny coming on to these folks about the way that they use data. And while this wasn't ideal, it wasn't what it could have been or should have been. It's a start. It is a start. And you're going to increasingly in the coming years see more pressure on them to be transparent. And the Maryland legislation, I think, is is another step in that direction. Um, They're going to be more transparent about what data they take, how they use it, how much it's worth, and then what they can do to give – people control of their own data well, and and somebody in the chat room brought this up and maybe not in exactly this way but but also there's the possibility that a transparency here i'm going to sell your data to marketers you will see ads related to the things that you do on this platform if you would like to not receive these ads it will cost you ten dollars to use a month to use the platform yeah and i bet most people yeah. say fine i don't want to pay it 
Yeah, I, I don't. I yeah. don't. I'm, am I wrong? I don't I have well, a problem with we're... Facebook using my information to sell ads. That's not where the issue is. The issue right. is more using my mood to take advantage of me to sell ads, or selling my information to a foreign government, or using my information, you know, in in kind of sleazier ways than just straight up. You talked about Jeeps. You should see Jeep ads. That, what would be wrong with that? You. You're actually interested in Jeeps. They're taking Wouldn't more you data ads? than what they're telling us. The problem they're taking is, more data and they're using it in ways that are kind of not so nice. And they're well, and we're, we're talking about what's we're talking about what's already happened. I mean, you know, Facebook saying if, if at the end of all of this, the end result is we'll tell you, you know, we'll we'll give you the opportunity to opt out so that we won't use your data to surface ads. Is sort of like not that that sort of shields us from everything that's coming. You know, the, the next social networks are going to be part of mixed reality, not text and photo and video-based social networks that we have right now. Now's the time that and, we get to work on social networks that don't rely on surveillance capitalism to survive. There must be some other way to create the next thing that doesn't require this kind of skeezy invasion of privacy. Or is that not Twitbook? Twitbook. I like it. Well, as we know now, at the end of 2018, Apple announced new phones this year, stopped selling the iPhone 10. At least we think so. There have been rumors in the last few weeks that Apple might be making the iPhone 10 again. Turns out it was pretty darn popular. In fact, we had this story about how popular iPhone 10 turned out to be. Right, okay. So it's been um, a headline-grabbing week for Apple. When has it not been? But um, we did have the report that when it comes to actual smartphone sales, Apple and the product line are taking over a third of the entire revenue straight out the bat. So all those mobile phone manufacturers out there, the billions of smartphones out there, Apple is sucking it up. Now, we have a, a mixed panel here. Uh, some Apple users, some Android users. Mike, you've actually bought your wood-framed iPad here. You have. Yes. You, you haven't gone for the iPhone 10 or X, depending on how you describe it. No. 10 or X, which one would 10. you... 10. Yeah. We'll go with the 10, yep, because I, I think the next one's going to be an 11. They pulled a Microsoft. They skipped a, a generation. There has been no iPhone 9. Uh, but yeah, iPhone 10 for sure. iPhone 7, 8, 9? Or... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I was surprised about, obviously, you know, Apple always dominates profits. If you think about what does Apple make, uh, the one thing they make better than anyone is profits. Mm-hmm. Um, but iPhone 10 actually had much significantly higher profits than any of the other iPhones. Uh, well, the numbers are so ridiculously priced. Or? Yeah, well, I guess. Uh, I mean, uh, we're probably going to talk about the Samsung, the cost of the Samsung screen, and so on. So it's it's expensive for them to make. Um, and I, you know, they, it's amazing they got as many people to buy it as they did. But thirty five percent of of the oh. industry's profits were the iPhone 10. Nineteen percent the iPhone 8. Fifteen percent the iPhone 8 Plus. Six percent iPhone 7. Five percent uh, iPhone 7. Uh, the first non-Apple device on the list is the Galaxy Note 8 at 3.9%, basically 4% of the industry mm-hmm. profit. So Apple, once again, is winning it all. And this doesn't even tell you what they're making on app sales. They get a third of of all the app sales. But getting on, on the mm. uh, streaming services like uh, Apple Music and so on, it goes on and on and on. They make money on everything, every aspect of the uh, – just about every aspect of the phones. But this is just – for selling the hardware. And it's really, it's the business story of, I think, the, the the decade or the millennium or something like that. They just are printing money. 
and it's mm. kind of ridiculous. They're, they're on track to be the first trillion-dollar valuation company. I uh, think Amazon might get there first. I'm not sure. Could be. It could be. They, they may a, have a fight for it at the moment. Uh, not if <laughs> President Trump has anything to do with it. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Well, we may come on to that later on. I mean, Greg and Dwight, what's your view on this? I mean, are you, uh, are you Apple fanboys? Are you Android users? Are you... <laughs> I I am an uh, an Apple user, and uh, and I've I use pretty much all their products. Um, I'm, you know, it's not a surprise they are aiming at the high end of the market, the where the profits naturally are better. They made Apple an aspirational brand, so you want to have it, maybe even if you can't afford it. And they have uh, and they have a, a variety of products, you know, in a uh, in a variety of. Uh, price ranges. So I think they're being very smart about it. The question is is how much can can they sustain? You know, they have earnings coming up on uh, on May 1st and uh and there has have been several analysts who have said, well, they're just not doing as well as um as expected on the iPhone 10. Uh and so we'll actually we'll get a, a better look at what is actually going to happen when those earnings drop. Mm. So I'm an Apple user or an Apple consumer. I'm not a I'm not a fanboy. I was a fanboy, but increasingly I'm less inspired by Apple's going forward. I think the price is getting out of whack with the value being delivered. Uh, so, you know, as as it says here in the 21% of the total revenue goes to Apple, but they make 35% of the total industry profits. I've heard different numbers. I heard they sort of take 30% of the total revenue, but 70% of the total profits or whatever. But either way, Apple's charging is working in the premium end of the market and charging premium pricing that it has a vast profit margin. Uh, but then not only that, but the part of the reason they're making the profit margin is a couple of things. One is security. Unlike a Microsoft or an Android, your device is more or less secure, although there's signs that there's cracks in that coming forward. It's not buggy compared to uh, anybody else's smartphones or anybody else's um, products. And so they do actually have a reason for being regarded as a premium supplier. But I think the other thing that we are not covering here that's not covered in this report, of course, is that Apple is very much uh, increasing its ARPU, avenue revenue per customer, uh, or average revenue per user, to be literal, uh, by having things like the the headphones, you know, the Apple earphones they've got with the X1 chip inside, Apple TVs, the Mac is increasingly an accessory to the iPhone, uh, the App Store, the music, the HomePod, you know, all those accessories mean that you're not just buying the phone anymore. The phone is the linchpin of an entire ecosystem around which you're going to buy you know, one or more of those fries with the with the iPhone burger, and I think you you don't don't underestimate that much that part of the the strategy. Greg, just to follow up on that and and clarify, you you said that mm-hmm. you your understanding was that the uh, uh, Apple was north of seventy percent total profits. Mm-hmm. Um, that used to be the case, and now they're up to eighty seven percent. That thirty five percent is the I, iPhone ten alone. Yeah. So the iPhone ten yes. by itself as a sing, as one ah, of the many see, yes. profitable uh, Apple devices makes more profit than si- the top six hundred Android makers combined. It's utterly yes. bonkers. I mean, it's it's yeah, almost it's like a, with Android is a race to the bottom, whereas Apple has just yeah. said, "Yeah, let's make this a premium thing." But then it isn't really reflected in their other product lines. In that, I mean, Greg, you said this is the linchpin, but I yeah. know a lot of MacBook users who are really really annoyed at the moment that. Their laptops are not getting love. We're using outdated hardware. They've just said mm. that the next MacBook isn't going to be coming through the line until 2019. I mean, has, has Apple given up on, on, on laptops? 
I think there's a few. I think there's a few things happening there. One is Intel's product line has been disrupted. They've missed a couple of generations in the CPUs. We always expected to see Intel release new CPUs. They did the TikTok, mm. and we expected them to happen every year. And then Intel shifted to a three-year strategy. And I, I just have the sense, and this is just pure speculation on my part, Apple was doing something, and they missed a generation or two because whatever it was they were working on didn't work. So I know that, uh, for example, Apple, uh, Intel completely uh, failed to deliver on mobile processors and mobile CPUs. Twice. And yeah, that's right. And so if you were betting, you know, you had a whole production line ready to go and then Intel suddenly pulls the pin on that CPU that, that they were going to push out there and you're Apple, because Apple had puts all of its all of its weight behind a single product. There's not like, you know, Samsung, they have like nine to 10 product families. Apple has two smartphones in the market today, basically the X and the 8. They don't have this massive diversity, which allows them to fail in one product line and fail over. They go all the way in. Um, so if if Intel pulled the product line too late, then Apple might not have had a backup strategy in place. And that's why we haven't seen the iteration. Um, so I'm not entirely sure that putting the blame at Apple's feet is the thing to do. Of course it is because it's up to them to meet the market and meet users' expectations and to manage user expectations. I think that's the thing that Apple's failed to do here. We have an expectation as Apple customers to see a refresh cycle on the Mac roughly every two years, a major trend. And we haven't seen that. And they haven't come out and talked about it or been public about it. And we really feel a bit uh, a bit abandoned. Like I'm sitting here with a 2012 MacBook waiting patiently for the next one because I'm not leaving my ports behind. This was the company Google bought uh, uh, briefly uh, until they realized that Boston Dynamics was doing robots for the military. Scary robots like this running robot. I think this is the same robot, Atlas, that they showed earlier uh, one of the Boston Dynamics employees kicking, knocking over with a stick. And the robot was so nice and just got up and kept doing things. But I have to think it's kind of making a list, right? Look at it, it can jump. I know, right. like a baby when it does that. Like yeah, I know, it's cute. Like thinks about it. Would you and- like uh, one of these Boston Dynamics for your very well, own? What I'd like to know is how much range does it, I mean, you know, how much of a battery does that thing have? 90 minutes. 90, that, that long, that long? Not, not that specific one, but the one they're about to sell, 90 minutes. In 2019, they announced this at TechCrunch Disrupt this week. Boston Dynamics is going to start selling their dog. That's the 90-minute one. Spot Mini. This is a video that they posted on YouTube of it autonomously navigating their office and labs. Now, they had to run it through once to get an image. So the, the, the... robot do you really want this in your house <laughs> they're speeding well, it up see, here you've seen the other video where it opens the door yeah know, and then let's you the can get one, one with a with a through. articulated arm yeah be perfect for pinching people uh the uh, robot they say it's the quietest robot they've ever made it's yeah, i mean i don't know how quiet it is but it's it doesn't sound like a steam engine coming at you anyway no just give me a canine this is autonomous. This is this is like an autonomous vehicle. This is like the DARPA I'd, Grand Challenge. I'd, I'd, right? I'd rather pick up the dog poop instead of having one of these. Well, Kevin Rose suggested they cover it with fur. I think that's probably. I don't know. I don't know if it'll look like this when they sell it. I don't, I don't know, know how they didn't expensive cover the little Sony dog with fur. Yeah, and that, that, yeah but it yeah, looks dog-like. This that's thing true. looks. I don't know. 
This thing looks, looks like a like a crawler. Yeah. Like like a. Well, wait till you, wait yeah. you see this. You can't get away from it by running upstairs. It's just gonna follow you. <laughs> have you seen Have you seen the Black Mirror episode, uh, Hard Metal or um, not yet? Heavy Metal. Is it the new the new? It's from the latest series. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not caught up yet. I can't wait. I love that show. At least it Talk does stairs slowly. So if you run up the stairs, you might be okay. You could run back down. Yeah. And then kick it. it by the, the way, it doesn't go forward downstairs. It goes backwards, just like me. <laughs> so how much is this thing going to cost? They don't say, but they do say they're going to sell it to end users in 2019. I mean... It's mini spot mini. This looks expensive. <laughs> it does look really expensive. $10,000 Sounds like you know about this if you said 90 minutes. Have you, have you talked I, with the people? I was just brushing up before we went on yeah. there. The Google, uh, the Google folks sold this company. They realized it's kind of creepy Owned for Google Soft to own. Now. Yeah, that's what's what's really interesting. Sun Sun, mm-hmm. Masayoshi Sun, who has pledged a one hundred billion dollar investment in Silicon Valley Tech. Hundred billion. Sorry, spent thirty billion of it. He bought Sprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, is uh, is uh, now the owner <laughs> of these scary robots. He also bought a big chunk of Uber. Did he? Yeah. But, uh, He's got money to spend. He bought about fifteen percent of Uber. Is it interesting? I don't really understand where all that money came from. SoftBank was originally a software distributor, I think. Right? That's where the name came from. Yep. Owner of Ziff Davis. They bought Ziff Davis. I remember. Yeah. I was still working there when the, we we had to call him Sunson. Um. <laughs> by the way, that sound. I'm not. I'm not making baseball caps for everybody in the audience. That's the Spot Mini still running around. Does sound like an embroidery machine, though. <gasps> I mean, it's cute. I don't know. It's growing on me after a really. Bit. It doesn't have any personality. I've always wanted a robot dog. I'm just. It's. I mean, really, the technology is kind of impressive, yeah. right? Uh, and those legs. You see how they went sideways yeah. too? They don't just go forwards and backwards. I am Spot. What if it had uh, John Legend's voice? Now, how much would you pay? I don't. Oh, John Legend. <laughs> We'll get back to our best of episode in just a little bit. I'll tell you one of the things, the best ofs for me, and it's not just been this year for the last 10 years, LastPass, my password manager. You use LastPass, right? If you use LastPass, listen to this commercial anyway. (laughs) So you can tell your friends why they should get LastPass. Actually, you might want to tell the boss because we use LastPass at work. Let me tell you, uh, it's one thing to protect yourself, but if you're a business, you have to remember... You know, you can have all the best IT in the world, and we do here. Russell's great. He protects us against all sorts of threats. But your employees could be the weak link. They might be using bad passwords. Remember, you have to give them access to your bank account, your your website, your bookkeeping, your servers, all the stuff that you, you, know, you use on the Internet, they have access to. And they may not have the best password hygiene, if you know what I mean. Look around your office. See if there's a, a Post-it note stuck on a monitor. Like that, with a corporate password on it. I bet there is. This is why you need LastPass. No more Post-it notes. Throw them away. In fact, your employees will love it. LastPass generates long, strong passwords that you you can't remember. But you don't have to remember because LastPass keeps track of it in the password vault. LastPass is strong encrypted. In fact, we, we ran it through uh, Steve Gibson because I wanted to make sure before I was recommending this to people. I've been using it forever. Steve interviewed the guy who, uh, who wrote it, ja- Joe Segrist. He looked at the source code. He said, yeah, they're doing the right thing. Things like PBDKF so that it's you can't even brute force this thing. And it's only decrypted on device. 
Even the guys at LastPass can't get to your password vault. Only you can get to your password vault. Of course, they support two-factor. We require employees to use it. That's another thing you can get with LastPass Enterprise. There's over 100 sane, strong, secure policies you can implement uh, regarding master password length, two-factor authentication. You can have password resets. Uh, you, you really control the whole thing. If an employee leaves, access is revoked. Passwords can be chained automatically. You can even give people passwords without giving them access to the password. They can log in to QuickBooks, but they can't actually see the password. Things like that make a huge difference. LastPass, I trust it so much, we put everything in there, not just passwords, database keys, SSH keys, PGP keys, software licenses, all our business information. I even put my passport and driver's license. Everything's in LastPass. It's what you need, a secure store for the most valuable stuff in your business or in your home. LastPass, they have a great uh, multi-factor authenticator program. I love it because instead of making you num memorize six digits and entering them in, it just you press an approve or deny button it, on your phone and automatically logs you in. And you can, by the way, as an enterprise user, you can require that. Two-factor is a huge improvement uh, in security in general, and LastPass makes it easy. If you're at a Microsoft Active Directory company, you can use your AD credentials for a single sign-on. Uh, that's so great. Here's the deal. Choose the LastPass that's right for you. You're, for your business, there's LastPass Teams for businesses of 50 or fewer, and LastPass Enterprise, that's what we use. For individuals, there's LastPass Premium, and actually at home, we use LastPass Families. Because uh, that way I could share passwords with my wife. She's my kind of emergency access contact point. So if something happens to me, she can get access to my passwords and settle my affairs, things like that. That's actually really important. Uh, I can give you a thousand reasons to get LastPass. Just do it. Go to lastpass.com slash twit. Join the 16 million users and the 43,000 businesses from leading tech brands like MailChimp, to Fortune 500 companies and Twit, who trust LastPass. It's the number one most preferred password manager. LastPass.com slash Twit. Make security a priority in 2019. Back to This Week in Tech and the Roundtable. A great article which made me feel a lot better about GDPR. I have such mixed feelings about GDPR. On the one hand, this uh, general data protection regulation that the EU uh, put into law two years ago, but now is actually going to go into effect on Friday, does things that everybody would agree are uh, are good. For instance, requires companies that have a data breach to disclose within 72 hours. I mean, really fast. And also puts some real teeth into those laws. These These regulations have existed, but there was no enforcement in the past. Now there will be. In fact, this is a really good example of what happens uh, if you, you make a law or you make a regulation. What was the – there was a privacy – what was the name of the privacy regulation, Patrick, that it's been in, it's been in effect for a year or, or two? Uh, I'm not sure which one the, you're can't remember the referring name of it. to. I mean, there, there uh, are the things right, the right like the right to be forgotten. No, not that. But there's a, there's a general privacy rec regulation that effectively was GDPR but had no teeth and has been in place for a while. Oh, I'll look it up. In any event, the EU decided, well, we've got to have some, you know, if this is going to work, we've got to have a significant penalty. And the penalty is fairly significant. The, as much as 20 million euros, 20 million euros or 4% of your global revenue, whichever is higher, 
That's enough even to scare a big company like Google or Facebook. Clearly, it's intended for them. Um, but, so uh, some things I think I'm in favor of. Then there are other things that I think a lot of people are very worried about, uh, that, that compliance will be difficult. I read a good article. This is uh, Jacques Matei, I think you pronounce it. He wrote a piece uh, on his blog called GDPR Hysteria, which calmed me down a lot. <laughs> he said, "He said, you know, it's, it's in here. It's in here, Leo. It's the European Data Privacy Directive. That's that was it. The previous one. That's yeah. it. Which, which was kind of a first attempt, but didn't do anything because it had no teeth. Um, so he's pointing out, look, this isn't going to happen overnight. You're going to get a, if you're out of compliance, you're going to get a warning." That, you know, they're not. That's the maximum fine. There, there may not be a fine at all if you fix it. Uh, I am in favor of privacy. What is so? And but I think also here in the states, a lot of people say, "How dare the EU tell us how to run our business?" <laughs> well, they're not. Um, they're telling you that that's what you have to do if you have customers in the EU. They could perfectly make two different sets of rules and settings, one for the EU customers and one for the US customers. Now, of course, it would get interesting reactions from the US uh, uh, customers and the press, I'm guessing, because the EU customers would have settings and rights to delete their data, portability of their data, downloading what you have uh, used on their network. And magically, the US customers wouldn't. So actually, for a while, we thought Facebook might do that. They might implement it just for EU customers. They, they said then later, uh, no, we're going to implement it for everybody. In fact, it's great. You can download your Facebook data now. You can delete your Facebook data now if you want. That's a good thing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the power of government. Uh, yes, government is sometimes mm-hmm. uh, overbearing and cumbersome, but sometimes you need it because it's the only entity that can have some kind of influence on other more, you know, very uh, potent entities like some huge companies. Yeah. And, I, I, I do think that, I mean, Europeans have always been more concerned with all of these issues than uh, the Americans for a couple of reasons. Historically, uh, we have more genuine concern about all of this and the way our data is used. And of course, we don't, the, those big companies are usually not uh, in the EU. So we have an easier time looking at them and saying, oh, these. Right. <laughs> that's one of the internet that's giants. One, that's one of the under the subtext of all of this is, oh, here comes the EU after successful American companies again. Yeah, but no one is saying that what is being required of those companies is completely unreasonable. No, not um, at all. Especially fact. for the big ones, right? Yeah. It, yeah. It's things that really they should have implemented themselves a long time ago. And I've been, I, I went off on a tiny, tiny rant on Twitter because after the 25th email I received from one of those companies saying, <laughs> at company X, we value your privacy. And this is why we're All doing this. All of a sudden. If, yeah. If you valued our privacy, you wouldn't have waited until the law obliged you to do these things yes. to put them into place. You know, they like, I would have preferred that some of them would say, hey, so the GDPR GDPR is coming into law and it requires this and this or so we're making these modifications. You didn't have to put that that, you know, hypocritical PR spin to it Mm -hmm. saying, well, of course, they did have to do it because that's how they work. But it's a little bit frustrating. But it's, you know. I understand the concerns. And again, I think it's good to ask and, and discuss them. 
But overall, I have a hard time justifying uh, uh, a, a full uh, uh, criticism of this GDPR uh, ensemble of requirements. It yeah. seems like things that should have been uh, uh, put into place maybe earlier. And I have to admit that myself, I might have been a little bit skeptical about all of it until a couple of years ago, but I think now it's clear to everyone in Europe that it's needed. And I'm guessing in the US, most people agree. I agree that it's needed. And I, and I think that, that you make, I, I basically agree with everything you said. I do have some questions still about how this is actually going to be enforced. I think if you're a larger company, a Facebook, a Google, a Microsoft, an Apple, uh, a, a Samsung, um, an Amazon, you obviously are going to, to be in compliance because you're going to be watched very carefully. But if you are a Chinese-based company or if you are a, a, a you know, um, a, you know, Eastern European-based country who's not part of the EU, um, or if you are just smaller and don't care, I, I am curious about how thing, these things are actually going to be enforced. I think actually that's well, why Leo mentioned this piece specifically because I read this earlier in the week also, Leo. And, and the point that he's making is that he's specifically saying, are you just a person that has a blog? Are you going to be on the hook for $20 million or whatever in fines? And he's saying, no, that's not the way that the EU works. Things like the, the, D, the DPD, the European Data Protection Directive, he said – that's that's been in effect for two decades. Two decades. Have you never? But you've never <laughs> even heard of it because the point is not that they wanted to suddenly fine everyone. They wanted to have the laws not, in the place. Right. Right. And I understand that. What I'm saying is I'm not necessarily talking about like your website or a small company right. who I, I, I'm talking about potentially big conglomerates, big industries big players who are based in countries that just aren't going to care. Like, how are they going to enforce this against someone like Tencent, for instance, or or someone else? Like, you know, well, if someone's really going to come back, I mean, that's that's becomes the interesting question. Are you going to start blocking access to their traffic? Like, like what what how much teeth is this really going to have? And I guess we will have to see on that, because what we've seen before with Right to be Forgotten and and other sanctions that have gone against, you know, Google um, and, and, and other companies those companies tend to fight back even when it is the law. So I don't know. Yes, but but the right to be forgotten has been implemented. I, I, initially, I thought it was a horrible idea, uh, but it has been implemented by Google and it seems to work relatively well. Of course, there are, there are always issues in every uh, uh Oh, I still think like that this, one's but, a horrible law because it, it, yeah, it, instead of, of saying pull down the original content, they're putting the burden on the search engine to pull down the search results, they're also putting Google Google into in the position of judge and jury. Google has to go through each of these requests and judge whether it has merit or not. That's not something Google should yes, be but, doing. Yeah, yes, but Leo, this is the practical approach to problems. Sometimes the solution is not perfect, but it's better than doing nothing. This is what we're asking of uh, YouTube, of Facebook, of Twitter. We're telling them take away the objectionable content within 24 hours. This is horrible. It shouldn't be on the internet. And, and my initial concern was we're asking private enterprises to be the judge of what is acceptable right. and, or not acceptable to say. I agree. This is a valid concern. However, uh, on, the other, on the other side of it, uh, and I'm sure some people would, would have more to say about it than, than me, but 
you see some horrible things on Twitter. And sometimes you are very frustrated that it's still there and that the, the accounts aren't blocked. And so the is the right thing to, to do to go to Google and say, hide that Twitter search result or to go to Twitter and say, pull the tweet down? And that's the problem well, I have with right in, to be forgotten. It makes Google responsible for this, not the site that hosts it, the bad content. I think in the case of Twitter... Uh, obviously, you would go to Twitter. Yes. But there are many, many other uh, but The right to be forgotten where... is about Google. Yes, absolutely. Right. And and it's not about uh, the, the link to Twitter. If it's a link to Twitter, you're going to go see Twitter. It's a, a, a general... Uh, uh, because in practice, Google is our doorway to the internet, especially right. in Europe. Remember, they have yeah, 80%, 90% Europe. Uh, uh, yeah, market share in Europe. Andy and in Germany's in the chat room, and he says you still you still have to delete the content from the original sites by yourself. You go to those sites, but the reason Google is in the equation is because they cache all this stuff. So you have to get them to kill the cache as well. I guess I don't know. As, well, not no, 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 not just the cache. They also have to kill the link. They have the to result. hide the link. Right. Yeah. The, but if the, the content's the gone, what does the link matter? Of course, yes. But usually the issue is that the the content is more difficult to get. What about to. It the might Internet Archive? Which I think is a really uh, yeah. valuable, important thing. The Wayback Absolutely. Machine uh, keeps will... is saving the internet. No, nobody's saving the internet; it's disappearing. Yeah. Absolutely, Leo. I completely agree. But I will answer to you what I, I basically would like to formulate to Christina about the concerns that she was voicing, which is, be, it's not you know there, you're always going to have issues is in any system, in any rule, in any law. You're you can point out. Uh, uh, instances where it doesn't work or it, where it breaks something. But uh, uh, having a few exceptions where it doesn't work out well doesn't mean that you shouldn't do something about a I problem. I agree. Without a doubt, I agree. And to be clear, although I actually have a lot of issues, especially from a First Amendment perspective with the right to be forgotten, I have serious, serious issues about that. Um, I don't have a problem with GDPR. And I think I, I, I think that these are things that I'm with. They're I'm very with you. different. These are, yeah. I, absolutely. And I think these are things that, frankly, most of these big companies should have been doing already and and, and should have that act that they were actively avoiding. And I think that the, the fact that we've had two years and there was all this pushback is proof, you know, Facebook kind of being publicly forced through, you know, it, the, the terrible press it was getting to not have two option screens, but one is is, is kind of proof of that. Um, I agree with you. I'm just I'm just saying, like, not not to say not to do it. Obviously, you still do it. But I do have questions that other than some of the, the biggest, you know, like American run conglomerates, that you might still have some very big services that will just not respond to this. And, and I think that that's just well, something that people should reconcile. So, sure. So the, the thing is, if one of those big companies, let's say, you know, a Chinese company for the sake of argument, if they do business in Europe, if they are big enough or serious enough at this point, they still do have to have some kind of presence uh, in the country. You know, usually you need to have a company that is uh, created in Europe to do business in, with European customers. Uh, uh, you you have you might have employees, you you have someone who's responsible. So if they're big enough the likeliness is that if there's a big problem, there is someone you can point to, go after a company you can find, stuff like that. Yes, there might be a few instances where this doesn't happen, but it's... It, Actually, that's I an think, interesting... Right, Christine raises there. an interesting question, though. What if you say, no, I'm not going to pay the fine? What do oh, they do? Yeah. Are they going to block you on the internet? 
No, if you have a, a, a French, this is the reason why. What are they going to do the, though? Close uh, your office? What are they going to do? Yes, yeah, absolutely. If you don't pay the fine, then you can. You're liable to criminal. Uh, I'm guessing. I'm not a, a lawyer. So what? Uh, uh, let's say it's not going to happen. But let's say they said went after me, and said you're not Leo. You're not erasing uh, IP addresses of people who uh, download your content. Well, again, and then Leo, I said, well, is, screw you. you. What are they going to do? This is not you don't have a company in France. Google does. Facebook does. But Amazon, everybody Amazon. who has viewers or listeners or, or readers or or uh, customers in, in France are s still liable to the EU for those customers, right? Yes. Yes. And in theory, they could go after you. In theory, yes, Leo. Yeah, okay. I know. I'm too small. They're not going to, obviously. And, and, yeah, and, exactly. But... Yeah, I mean, this I guess, I mean, Google's going to pay, or at least they've, they've appealed it, but Google's being fined, what was it, $1.7 billion or something. They're, they'll well, eventually pay say, that. I mean, Maybe or, they or they'll will, get it knocked down. Well, right. because this is my question. This is what I'm saying. Speaking of Google specifically, they've been fined multiple times by the EU. To my knowledge, they've paid much smaller fines than than, than what's been, um, you know, issued to them $2. before. 2.7 billion them is the current one. That's the, the, Yeah, but, but there, there was a Google shopping thing that I think this might be a shopper one. one. That's the shopping one. Yeah. Okay, there was another one, too, that they, they put off. I mean, they've been putting this off for years. So part of me does kind of wonder, like, when are they actually going? I mean, I, I'm not opposed to this law at all. I, as I said, I agree with it. Part of me, though, does wonder, like, how much of this is bluster and how much of this is just going to carry on in the courts ad nauseum. Listen, how many emails have you gotten of big companies <laughs> right. implementing They're taking it seriously. Right? As they okay, should, because yeah. it's the right As thing to should. do. Well, I agree. Yeah. Look, when I first joined Microsoft, Not I joined Microsoft a year ago. I was they were already deep in the GDPR rollout plan like it was yeah. already deeply underway. And I'm sure that that's the same way that it's been at every other major yeah. company. This is not something that that two months ago, people were like, oh, we've got to get on this. This has been a, probably in the works for, for two years at most of these places. I agree. I'm just saying, you know, if people find that there isn't enough being done or if Google were to or another company were, were to do something that the people claimed violated this, I have no doubt in my mind that there would be an appeal as you know, for, for, for any of sort of fine. And, and actually, I mean, I think this is a good thing. I'm just pointing out, I, I think that sometimes we, we say, oh, it's, it's fixed now. And that's not necessarily going to be the case um, because companies will look for ways to still capture what they can. I do have a question because I'm not clear on this. Well, if you ask users to opt into your agreement that says, I will willingly give you this information, can you bypass some of those restrictions? If you are able to get them to agree to a different user agreement that says, it's fine, you can capture my information. Well, I think that's the point. I think you have to explicitly have them agree to giving you this information instead of implicitly doing that. And, and you have right. to give them the right to delete it. They yes, can come to you and say, I delete my information. And that is the other point I wanted to make. We can argue about whether or not they would comply or not. The fact is they are complying. You yeah, now have the yeah. ability to delete all of your information from all of these networks. Of course, most people are choosing not to do that and are probably going to keep choosing not to do that. But if you want to talk about how, how much teeth that law has and how much weight the EU, you know, ultimately it's all about money. Uh, all of these companies are making a lot of money in EU, in the EU, and they're willing to invest a little bit of uh, money in modifying the, their systems, first of all, because it's, it's ultimately the right thing to do. I think a lot of them are saying now, well, maybe we should be a little bit regulated if it's the right way. Uh, 
And second of all, it's a small investment compared to the money they're making in in the, the territory. And yes, they could close down their offices in e, in the EU and have everyone go through Amazon.com or whatever you know U.S. site it is. But in practice, that's just not the way it works. If you want to do business, even in the age of the internet, you need to have a presence in the country or at least in the EU. Um, so it's it's currently working. Now, of course, if they end up having a, a, a fine of 20 million euros or however much it might be, 4%, um, they will fight it. It will take years. But that's not even the point. The point is the deterring um, effect is working because they're already doing it. You sent me a note this week. And I think we all read it. There's a couple of posts on Medium uh, about detoxing. <laughs> Yes, from data, from our from our data apocalypse that is always seems just upon us. But I, I did a personal process that I went through courtesy of these artists and activists out of Germany called Tactical Tech that lets you kind of review your own exposure to data. And so I did a personal journey and took notes and chronicled it. And out of that experience, which you know I've been processing for over a year, honestly, I wrote a humbly titled new tech manifesto yes. on ways I think that we could collectively not just be afraid of what the present is, but like write a better future. My hope is that we don't feel uh, disarmed by all of this or, or too depressed by it, but that we actually feel inspired. Uh, we're still early days of the internet and this whole network world, and it doesn't have to be uh, an advertising hellscape where we are all in someone's dossier of us. So I encourage folks to check that out, baratoonday.com. I think the timing is good. I feel like we're making progress in that regard, aren't we? Thanks to yes, GDPR and the Facebook debacle. We were watching the Facebook. So on the NBA playoffs, there were three, not one, not two, but three apology uh, commercials. Yes. Facebook, <laughs> which has been running its for several months. And I loved Facebook's because it said, you know, all the things you love about Facebook. And then something happened as if they had nothing to do with it. Like, yeah, no, it was like a passive event that occurred. Yeah. They were the victims here. <laughs> then something happened. Fake news happened. Poor Zuckerberg, really. We should all just privacy sympathy for him. People lost their data. It just happened. <laughs> it was pretty funny. And then there's Wells Fargo. They took a little more, I think, a little more. The Wells Fargo ad was the most annoying ad to listen to, but it was the most honest, I think, in admitting their own flaws. They said, we lost your trust. Accurate. I wish Facebook had said, own it. We lost. Yeah, own it. That's the only kind yeah, of no apology that works. Yeah. One of the things, one of my favorite, honestly, my favorite line from my little short series was, you know, Facebook has been not just on an apology tour, but like a corrective blogging exercise where if you go to <laughs> newsroom.fb.com, which I encourage everyone to do because uh, we probably haven't, they are launching all these new tools and they're saying we're going to audit the app developers and we're going to we're going to get them. We're going to get them for abusing your data. And it's like, dudes, it was like you opened the door. You left the keys in the lock. You had signs up that said, grab all this data while you can. Everything must go. So, you know, Facebook, you know, auditing and investigating app developers is like Walter White <laughs> investigating Jesse for all that meth Jesse made in Walter's lab using his scientific knowledge. And, and until they not only apologize, but like really come clean and acknowledge that it was part of their corporate growth strategy to let all these folks in and sell us all out, it's going to be very hard to take them seriously when they ask for our trust back. I can't even trust you to be honest about the problem you helped create. But that would require a little bit of humility on the side of Facebook. I, and I don't think that corporation has humility built into its DNA. 
I think it it goes right back to the business model. I mean, Zuckerberg has been uh, playing fast and loose with his users' data since he was in short pants in Harvard, and he keeps apologizing. And it's always the same thing. It's just he's he's dependent on his his business is dependent on the users sticking around, watching ads, and uh, whatever it you know if you're gonna. Uh, prioritize user engagement, then you're going to um, have things like the 2016 election. Did you see the the thing that um, they did on uh, the the Daily Show, the Facebook uh, skit? No. What, what if Facebook no, what were a do? bar? <laughs> do you have that? Do you have that video? I can play it. What if Facebook? Because this is, is this the, recently or yeah? yeah Tim, they used week. to work for the Daily Show, right? I did. Yeah. Was that during the John Stewart era or the uh, Trevor Noah era? It was the the first of the Trevor Noah era. Oh, I you was did a really good job, man. Here's uh, Trevor you. and go to two twenty in the. Yeah, the yeah. We'll go. This is a longer piece about they Facebook. We'll, we'll go into the video. If Facebook was a real physical place. Hey, want to see a pic of my kid? Nope. I'm heading out. You want to stay for another drink? Mm, sorry, but this place kind of blows. I procrastinated long enough. I gotta get back to work. She's got a Hillary Clinton button on her purse. I check it. Before you go, this guy says Bernie would have won. Oh, boy. Seriously? Them's fight words. Here's what I hate about Bernie Bros. You want another drink? Yeah. Bernie is <laughs> a socialist. The idea that a Rust Belt voter would hey, ever... What do you know about Rust Belt voters? We're the real America. Bar, turn another picture, please. We're going to be here a while. Oh... Bartender has a little face. Climate change is real. Did you even see Leonardo DiCaprio's documentary series? Want to see a pic of my kid? I'm tired of how they're telling us what to do. They should stick to acting. They should stick to not sexually harassing. Hashtag Me Too. Hashtag Times Up. Hashtag Boycott Hollywood. Hey, take a joke, Snowflake. LOL. Hey, I know it's problematic for me to say this as a straight white cis male, but check your privilege <laughs> and show this beautiful goddess some respect. Oh, boy. <laughs> Just threw her you drink in his face. You do something about the misogyny in here. Absolutely. And we're doing everything we can to block people like that from coming in here. And if we can't do that, we don't deserve to serve you. Speaking of, may I serve you? Hell yeah, you can. Hello, Sweden. They don't even have a word for poverty. That's Tupac. I like Lil Yachty. You seem so trustworthy. This is fairly accurate. Why would this not happen in real life? love that accent. Because they wouldn't talk to you. <laughs> Cambridge had a little guy. Yeah, he has no, a Cambridge, Cambridge had a little guy. Yeah. No, blue lives matter. And all lives matter. You both wrong. I think you mean <laughs> you are both wrong. Hey, can oh, I see a pic of my kid? Aww. <laughs> <laughs> she hauls off and slugs him. And he's just collecting money. More beer, more drinks. The, earth is the bar is jammed. I'm getting worse. And everybody's fighting, guys with Russian hats. He's gonna like this pick up my kid, right? Thought that now. Stop it! Look at what this place is doing to you. It's toxic. Yeah, you're right. Should we leave? 
So I apologize for people listening, but I think you can imagine what, you, what the video shows. Yeah, it's a pretty accurate audio rendition of this yeah, as well. Yeah. So the thing about real life is there's a natural damper on that kind of stuff, right? You don't want to confront somebody directly. So there are people, occasionally you'll be in a bar that you'll meet somebody like that, but they're, but, but they're shut down fairly quickly, right? Right, and the bartender tries to keep things calm rather Instead than... Instead of lighting a fire. Right. Now, I, I feel like Twitter's even worse. <laughs> I just want to say uh, Facebook's getting a lot of heat, but really, if you want to go into a bar fight, just say anything on Twitter. Yeah, but the the argument about Facebook's data usage is pretty separate from the toxicity of the platform yes. itself. So they're, they're similar points, but they are distinct, I think. Be- and the but- idea that Facebook knows all these things about us and has been making money the whole time off of that deep knowledge, that's a, that is, to Alex's point, more specific to Facebook than Twitter, which is a uncontrolled space, but not as deeply ingrained uh, in our psyche as Facebook. Yeah. Brianna, you probably didn't have the luxury to go to E3 this year, so you followed it from I, afar. I sure wish. Wow. Yeah. That would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> but Jeff, you were there. I was. Yes, indeed. Great fun. Why, why? You agree with Brianna? It was the best yet. A really good E3. Uh, I don't know if I would say best yet. I think I think it's a, it was a solid year. It's an it's an interesting. We're in a sort of weird transition state for E3 because uh, many of the big publishers are pulling out or having satellite shows that are concurrent with E3 but not actually part of E3. And so the big crazy floor uh, chaos that used to used to be what defined e3 uh has subsided a bit and the the floor itself is still cacophonous and and intense and has a lot of companies but fewer than it used to i mean um ea does its own event now in in hollywood instead of downtown los angeles microsoft this year pulled out and uh had an event that was adjacent at their funny i thought they were at e3 because they had the press conference just like always yeah well, they, you know, the Microsoft sponsors the uh, the theater at LA Live now, so it is adjacent to the convention center, but it wasn't actually part of E3, and their floor presence uh, on the show floor of E3 was non-existent because they have their own location now. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's interesting. It's in a it's in a really interesting state. And of course, Nintendo for years has uh, done what they call Nintendo Direct, which is not an actual press conference. There are no human beings in an auditorium listening to someone on stage. They have a pre-recorded, edited, composed uh, presentation that they just live stream whenever they feel like it. And they they do that at E3, but they do it multiple times during the year. And I think you're going to see many companies moving to, away from E3 and moving to that model uh, because it, they have control over the message they don't have to deal with pesky human beings and, uh, you know, they're able to cut out the middleman. And and why, you know, as you keep saying on, on this show many times, I've heard, uh, you know, disintermediate. That's that's the there's no reason to have press between you and your message yeah. uh, anymore. That's what's um, killed or not killed, but certainly uh, caused problems for trade shows in general. I mean, Microsoft yeah. pulled out at CES. Comdex has disappeared. Um, well, yeah, well, I mean, Apple showed the way. Apple doesn't go to these events. You just right. have your own events and you get more attention. You're not competing with anybody else. Somehow, though, it seems like Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo still feel like they have to be somewhere around E3. It, that's still yeah. the week, right? 
it's well, still it's the week. It's the week it's, that yeah. all the news is coming out, right? right? Like, right. and you know, from a gamer's perspective, you don't really care if Nintendo is announcing Smash like as part of E3 right. or like with the Nintendo Direct. I just care the new Smash is coming out. So, um, I really hear what you're saying, Jeff. But like, they've they've struggled with this for years. Um, you know, Leo, mm-hmm. you were saying this was the first E3 that was open to the press. If I'm remembering this public. correctly, they the tried that yeah. a few years ago. Oh, like, uh, yeah. uh, like letting people in, then they shut it off to journalists again and let people back in, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, I just think ultimately it matters like what games were announced and what games are coming out because they're all kind of competing for that mind share. Like is Fallout 77 going to be the big game that people care about? Is Anthem? Um, and I think what we saw this year were some fresh new IPs really getting a lot of attention from people. Yeah. I think, uh, according to uh, GameSpot, E3 opens to the public for the first time ever. 15,000 tickets. Uh, oh, wait a minute. That was last year. Okay, there yeah. you go. So it is the second yeah. year in a row. Okay. Yeah. Second year. And they, they had, this year was the first time they had uh, different hours for the public and the press, which was which was kind of nice. We got a couple of hours at the beginning uh, to go in and, and just have press only. But uh, I agree with you, Brianna. I think you're right. I think it ultimately it comes down to what games were shown, what things were talked about. Uh, because it is the biggest week in in the gaming calendar, and and that's really the most important thing. I, I, it is interesting how the show is changing, and and I think um, kind of receding in, in a certain sense. But um, it, from a gaming standpoint, from just what was announced, it really was a strong year for some exciting stuff. We did get a lot of uh, sequels, as we always do, but um, <laughs> some some exciting new stuff, um, yeah. some interesting and- trends. Go ahead. You know, and and just the the I, I too am a gamer, although I suck at games. It's it's a huge part. It is explicitly my hobby. Like I'm not working if I'm playing games, and it's been <laughs> fascinating to watch games both pioneer some of the spaces that we've talked about, specifically social hooks. I mean, in social mechanics, they figured out long before social media, cybersecurity and cyber defense game. The game industry had to pioneer these things, uh, and. They're now kind of following the SaaS model, uh, and it's interesting to see the games industry take a page out of uh, the the services book and really transition. Almost every major publisher has transitioned from releasing standalone products uh, and single player products over the last decade to these these always on service models. Uh, and whether you, I mean, gamers, I know are very vocal with their opinions, especially on Reddit. But uh, whether you love this or, or hate this, it really has represented this kind of massive sea change that's happened in a multi-billion dollar industry that the mainstream media has uh, kind of turned a blind eye to. One of the things you'll see from time to time on Twit is you'll see a little Reddit emerge into Twit. It turns out Karsten Bondi, our producer, and I are both massive Reddit fans. Uh, I think Karsten found this one. Now, is this a spoiler? Should we do a spoiler alert? If you've still not seen, I can't believe anybody's not seen, uh, what is it called? Infinity War? Infinity War. If you've not seen Infinity War, well, shame on you. Just buy it for Christmas, watch it, then watch this great take on Infinity War from Reddit. If you were a fan of Infinity War, you might be in the subreddit. Uh, the uh, uh, <laughs> reddit.com slash r slash Thanos did nothing wrong. Uh, Josh Brolin, a.k.a. Thanos, has a message for you. 
Here we go, Reddit users. Tomorrow. By the way, notice Josh Brolin, half of his clothes went away <laughs> yeah. when he snapped his fingers. Let's face it, if you've got a chest like that, I'd be walking around <laughs> topless most of the time as well. You know, Tomorrow, uh, July 9th, uh, at uh, 9, actually, we don't know what time, sometime during mm-hmm. the day, exactly one half of all of the subscribers to the Thanos has a message for you, uh, I'm sorry, to the Thanos did nothing wrong, uh, mm-hmm. subreddit will be banned. So everybody needs to sign up. I noticed that the number has gone up a lot since this article in, uh, was it CNET? 500, yeah, 557,000 subscribers now. It's more than doubled. Uh, and we're going to do more to get that in, increased. Yeah. It's going up Probably fast. Probably doubled again yeah. since it yeah. was on this show. Or yeah, because everybody wants 48 hours. to be banned by Thanos. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get back to you next, uh, next time and tell you how that went. <laughs> I, I really joined immediately. You have to not only subscribe... Karsten, who somehow knows all this, says you also have to say something. And Karsten told me that what I should say is, I don't feel so good, right? Is that the canonical Thanos? That is, that is a, a good thing to say <laughs> in these situations. I don't, I don't. It, you guys don't watch sport ball. I don't get the comic book movies. It's just. No, I mean, it's. The whole Marvel things were sort of, I mean, okay, they were fun for a while, and occasionally they're quite good, but mainly it's kind of brain candy. You know, you, you go in. I have had... Ant-Man was really good. Yeah, I hear that's funny. Well, I developed a very weird pathology during the big battle scenes. Now, they're so overwhelming. It started with Black Panther. It happened in Infinity mm-hmm. War during those massive, chaotic battle scenes. I yeah. fell asleep. Yeah, mm. and yeah I don't love that stuff either. I, yeah. It's not like, oh, I'm, I'm bored. I literally just fall asleep mm. and then wake up when they're over. So and I said, who won? I podcast on The Incomparable <laughs> with Jason yes. Snell oh, nice. and that crew. And we're doing a Marvel summer where we rewatch and analyze the mm. movies. And I'm on next week for Avengers 1, Avengers 2, and Captain America Civil War. Uh, and it's been really interesting. Can we do a DC summer next year? If they make <laughs> decent movies, sure. And then t- Don't hold your breath. But no. <laughs> All right, that's it. <laughs> Did you see the Twitter thread sort of deconstructing the votes website? They're the blockchain voting system. No. Uh, Let me so, see if I can find it. Who's it? Who's it? Uh, Kevin Beaumont. Okay. Uh, so and and so he looks at the website. He's like out of date SSH, Apache, PHP. Oh, I remember Pop this. Three, uh, Plesk, and then and then he just keeps going through. Plesk, and it, <laughs> please, really, yeah, Plesk. At some point. Votes comes in and is like, no, you don't understand. And then he's like, oh, don't understand where you left your source code on GitHub with hard-coded usernames and passwords. And oh. it's, uh, it's a pretty bad cell phone. Um, oh. so. <laughs> Lots of uh, good, actually, information. Here's Rachel Toback at the uh, DEF CON hacking conference. Um, learning how to gain physical, getting access, admin access to a voting machine requires no tools, takes under two minutes, what? It's used in 18 states, this system. What? You just press a button and it opens? Yeah, wait a minute. Let me, just show, oh. let me just show you this. You okay. can turn on my audio. Yeah. This is Rachel. The machine is used in 18 different states, and it's extremely easy to get admin access on this machine. So let me show you how quick it is. About a little under two minutes. So by the way, this is the All voting machine in the book. All actor would be to open up this machine by pressing this button right here. <laughs> when it's off, removing the card reader... Removing this, you don't need any tools to do this. 
Unplugging this. Again, you don't need any tools to do this. Oh, wow. There goes the hard drive. Turning it on, all you have to do is pick this lock here with a ballpoint pen. <laughs> what? <laughs> Press the red button. And we're going to let it boot up here. And then I'll show you the admin access. This is a uh, premier voting system. It's used in 18 states, kids. Wow. 18 this is, states. This is not okay. Yeah, Rachel is great. We uh, we actually interviewed her about social engineering. Uh, ah, she's yes. a very, very talented uh, hacker. So it's loading what, what they call a secure Looks like Windows CE. Right Did you see that? that? The, the problem is a lot of this stuff came up, you know, following the 2000 election. Mm-hmm. This is when, copyright 2003 to 2008. Yeah. The yeah, software the, running on the, there was a big There was a big push to update voting systems to get rid of hanging chads and, and all that. Here we're going to see a couple of error and messages. We ended up and all with you have to do to bypass crap. those error messages is just click cancel <laughs> and okay. <laughs> and now I have you got root. She's got root. Under two minutes. All like she had to do was really pull the hard drive that's, and boot up to yeah, the firmware. Yeah, that's all she did. Does this make any? It, does anybody want to now start a voting booth company that would like have cameras in it, audited, well, 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 yes. you know, code that's open source? Why, why should why should voting be proprietary? Voting voting systems. Why should it be proprietary? Why should why is it not well, open by the source? Way, one of the few strengths we have in all this is that every county uses a different system. So it is it's a at little least, harder to hack. At least you it don't as, have a monoculture. Yeah, there's not a monoculture, but you're right. This should be open source for one thing. Uh we got to look at companies like Debold that don't really seem to care. Um it's depressing. Anyway, it's going on right now at yeah. DEFCON. I'm sure there'll be more uh, like that, uh, Rachel. Look, what else can be hacked? <laughs> Everything can be hacked, I mean, man. It's true. Everything. We'll be back with our best of in just a second. The stock market's crazy, isn't it? It's going up and down. Uh, Betterment is the smart way to manage your money. It's the largest independent online financial advisor. They're designed to help you build wealth, but also plan for retirement, save for college, achieve all your financial goals. Look, you don't want to put it in a savings account that's earning less than the inflation rate. You need to invest. Betterment's the better way. Their technology is designed to help you make more from your investments with tax-efficient investing strategies. It'll give you an edge. And Betterment, by the way, this is a good time to be in Betterment. When the market goes down, Betterment will help you save more of your money by taking advantage of things like tax loss harvesting. Betterment provides unlimited expert advice designed to help you make smart financial decisions. You're still in control, but Betterment can help you. And 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 this I can't underscore this enough. They're a what they call a fiduciary. That means everything they recommend is based on your best interest. They are not incentivized to recommend certain funds. They don't have their own investment products to sell. They are working for you. And you can't say that about most financial advisors. This is what you want. Somebody who's going to give you real good clear advice that's for your benefit. Uh, Betterment gives you constant access to information and tools that let you track progress towards your goals so you can always feel like a smart, savvy investor. Now look, nobody's going to say investment doesn't involve risk, but do it right. Do it the right way. Do it the better way with Betterment. You can get up to one year managed free. By the way, I should emphasize this. Betterment's uh, fee structure is flat fee. So as they... No matter how many trades, they don't charge you per trade. It's a very small, very affordable, flat 
fee based on the amount of money you have invested. And you can look it up on the site because it varies depending on what you're doing. But how about getting no fees for one year, managed free? Uh, for more information, go to betterment.com slash twit. Betterment.com slash twit. Betterment. Outsmart average. And now back to the show. In the spirit of being healthy and in the spirit of Elon Musk's latest uh, <laughs> views on how we should do these sort of things. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, no. Who's up for a spliff? Right oh, here. my gosh. No, 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 I'm kidding. This, this is a family show. There is, there is nothing in there other than pure legal tobacco, which will only kill you if you use it as per the manufacturer's instructions. <laughs> but uh, what was Elon thinking? I mean, seriously. So are we familiar with the Joe Rogan show as a group in general? Yes. Have we seen, mm-hmm. we've seen this before? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. so yes. for people who don't know the Joe Rogan show, it's one dude who's in the MMA scene, Joe Rogan, who's also a quasi-comedian, who does long- MMA is, is, is mixed martial arts. That's basically two people. radio back in the 1990s when he was basically just the bohunk that was brought on to be the muscular engineer type. And it sort of amazes me that he swerved into this... Uh, Niche. Yeah. Well, I mean, a, he ma- he's mastered it, so kudos to him. Yeah, but yeah, it's, but it, it's his still, show yeah. has great reach. Like, James yeah. Hetfield from Metallica went on after the mm-hmm. latest album. Yeah. Every celebrity you've known's dropped by, and it's a long-form interview. Yeah. Now, what would happen if you took that format and put a kind of really under-stressed tech executive with a history for drug use and <laughs> uh, crazy sayings? Well, yeah. what you can imagine happened, so... Yeah, but I mean, nine percent off the off the share price of the company initially, it bounced back slightly. Mm-hmm. The U.S. military is now looking into this because, as a federal contractor, he can't actually. He's not supposed to have anything to do with drugs. Mm. Um, I mean, Dwight, at, at the end of the day, was this mental breakdown? Was this just publicity seeking? Well, if you watch the whole video, um, you know, I don't think Elon necessarily was expecting it. But, but, haven't there been? Um, uh, tweets between his girlfriend and uh, another musician about him getting stoned all the time. I seem to remember a story Kevin about Charles that on a couple acid of weeks. Yes. He was joking about taking yes. the company private. Um, <laughs> yes, right, exactly. And so I think yeah. he's got. I think he's not. Um, I think he's four twenty friendly anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he's not the guy. You know, actually working. Uh, you know, turning uh, wrenches on on the uh, on the rockets. So I'm not sure exactly how that extends up. One of the things that's really fascinated me about the legalization of uh, pot around the country is you have uh, places where it's now legal, but you have businesses who will fire you if you do it. And um, and this kind of dovetails into that a little bit because, you know, what are uh, Tesla's and SpaceX's rules about doing uh, marijuana, even on your own time and certainly in public? Yeah, there was a report of a woman who was fired from Tesla because she tested positive for marijuana, cannabis, mm-hmm. and uh, she was mad because Elon was out there smoking mm-hmm. weed. Now, oh. I don't have a problem with what you do in your own time, for sure, no. uh, but I do think that it was a failure of crisis communications, too, in the middle of the struggles that Tesla has had in the last 12, yeah. 18, 24 months, mm-hmm. to go through this level of distraction and stupidity into the mix. Yeah. Well, I yes. guess the question yes. is, the, the question I have is, how does Musk understand his relationship with his shareholders and his board of directors because it's one thing when it's your company and there are not people who have put their money into it and are relying on you to make the kind of decisions that will increase market valuation Mm -hmm. but when you become a public company you are essentially making a contract with shareholders that says when i act as a representative of this company in the public space everything i do i do in the interest of increasing value and 
I don't know. This doesn't he increase value, does he it? He hasn't demonstrated. <laughs> a, well, he hasn't demonstrated an awareness of that. Mm. Um, he hasn't demonstrated an understanding that once your company is publicly traded, your relationship to both your intellectual property and your corporation is much different than when you own the whole thing the whole way down. Well, also, he spends so much time comp- complaining about short short sellers going after yeah. his stock, and then to give them such blatant ammunition seems. Yeah. Quite frankly, a little bit bizarre, but... Um, Self-defeating, even. But this yeah. is the story of Elon in the last couple of years. I mean, he's done, with through his firms, a lot of really great stuff. Mm-hmm. I still watch SpaceX launches because I'm a huge nerd. No, 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 I me just, too. He's revolutionized love, that love area. That. The live video is fantastic. Yeah. And the Model 3 launch has finally revved up. They're claiming to hit profitability this year. If he just said nothing, a lot of stuff would have gone away. Mm-hmm. Instead, Joe Rogan, a large blunt... <laughs> and a thousand million memes that were born from that moment. I mean, just yeah. unnecessary, and um, he needs better friends to tell him not to do this stuff. Well, I also wonder if there's the fallacy of intelligence where the idea is if you're really smart in one area, you're smart in all areas. The Germans <laughs> do have a word for this. It means someone who is highly skilled in one area or a complete fool in others. I'm going to Google what that is. Yeah, yeah I, it's, please do. It's definitely but, in know, there. Because I'm... I wouldn't contest his innovation or mm. his genius in a lot of ways. And in that interview, one of the things I really liked was how he nerded out over alternative energy sources. Oh, yeah. And the idea of breaking free of the fossil fuel economy. I mean, good for him for getting those ideas out kind of to an audience be- that is not typically hearing those ideas. Like, mm. good for him for that. And good for but him he- for being smart about this stuff. But is he smart about how to be a CEO of a public-facing, publicly traded company? Well, in that same interview, he also reiterated the idea that maybe we're all just living in a simulation. That came up again. And that was after the toke, I believe. There's a philosophical term for that, too, where um, – and I forget what that is. I read, I read about it recently where there, there, somebody, like, did an entire philosophical syllogism who's like, this is the only logical conclusion. I was like, really? Yeah, yeah that's, what Elon, that's what Elon believes, and, uh, and that can't be good for his shareholders either. Yeah. He doesn't <laughs> want shareholders. So, I mean, that's clear. He you said know, you he wanted really, to take like, pride mess with him in a meeting off. and just have like a bunch of Mr. Smiths come in and sit down. Like, like, <laughs> like, a bunch of Hugo Weaving lookalikes sitting in the audience, all just like, completely unamused. And simulation this, Elon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know that simulation <laughs> comes for you in this case, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. But, but he just needs to have to be reined in. I'm sorry, yeah. like flat out. I know he's rich. I know he's interesting, but you yeah. got to be a better manager than that. And you're screwing up your employees' networks, yes. not just yours. It's not just about you. In the same way that politics feels all Trump right now, mm-hmm. all car feels Elon. Yeah. But there's thousands of people that work there that have 401ks and have, you know, I'm sure RSUs. Who are invested in this and they don't well, want to send their kids is to the, college. This is the conundrum of being a CEO is if you're doing it right, a lot of your time is actually spent looking at really big picture stuff and understanding the effects that you have on dozens of people, dozens of constituencies, each with their own priorities. And as a public-facing CEO, he doesn't demonstrate an understanding or knowledge of that. He has the EQ of a six-year-old. I was not here for this, so I did not see this, but I'm so glad we have resurrected it. Uh, This was when I was on vacation. Oh, doctor decided... He had something to say about the new iPhones, and he did it in an interesting way. The size aspect is, I think, a good thing because here's my iPhone 8, and then here's the the, we, the guys here uh, 3D printed the new oh, uh, iPhone here. And you can see it's pretty much the same form factor, at least of my now, 8. But which one case. are you referring to? Is that the R? This is the S. 10S. <laughs> you see how hard I'm working? My, there's smoke coming out of my ears as I'm trying to remember this. The, this these are the, the worst 10S. names. These are the worst names since uh, two months ago or a month ago when 
the Note 9 came out with lavender purple and ocean blue. I'm like, ain't they the same thing? If you just said lavender, wouldn't I know that that's purple? If you said ocean, wouldn't I know that's blue? How are you just redundancy with the name? And then Apple comes along and says, hold my beer. And then they come out with all this stuff. And to you saying that all the phones are the best phones now, oh, no, they're not. No, they're not. That are, oh, okay. Can, uh, can we, are we, 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 we have the feature part yet? So I can Let's just. Let's do it. Go. I want to okay. hear this. He was, go. he was going. Let, let me tell you something. Oh, dual SIM cards. Welcome to 2012. Oh, we got dual SIM cards. You, you, you know, you can do that, right? You got an e-SIM card. Oh, everybody. Okay. Other people had that? Cool. Okay. Next thing. Oh, stereo recording. Oh, what? They had that on other phones too? Oh, my God. But ours is magical stereo recording because we have waves in the video. It's amazing. Oh, wait. What's another feature that we have? Oh, we have HDR picture uh, technology, nanobyte, gigabyte, thermal timeout learning. What? Oh, Pixel had that in their camera last year. With the, oh, okay. So, what do we have new again? What do we do? What do we innovate? I, I don't know. I don't. Uh, so, oh, the, and then you go talk about the battery life. What cell phone have you ever seen in your life that doesn't just tell you thirteen hours with an asterisk, fourteen hours or asterisk? Apple came along and said thirty minutes more than the old phone you used to buy. 30 minutes more than that little phone you used to have, and maybe 15 minutes more than this new phone you're going to get if you get the big one. Just tell me how long the battery lasts, because you won't tell me what's in there for the battery. And then uh, uh, the one meter versus the two meter. You couldn't have just made that all the same depth. Really? I still got you. Just the, the 2.4 cents it would have cost you because you told me I still got the same chip in it, and I'm not supposed to be jealous. Then you come with this wackadoodle screen. You charge $749. This phone should be $599. They want this phone for everybody and every kid. There are so many, so much better phones out there for that price range that you could get in the world. And they say, oh, $749 is for everybody. For who? Entitled children are going to bug their kids so they can do this emoji thing? That's all it's for. You're just trying to get money. Apple ain't innovated nothing. All they do, I'm sorry, I'm yelling. I'm so upset. All they do is raise the price of their phones. And they make more money on the margins. So when I spend uh, $1,100 on a Mac and I only get 64 gigs and I look at a note and it starts at 128 gigs because, you know, they live in America and the world as we live in. And they know that nobody wants the 64 gigs. Then they offer you a phone at 512 for 25, uh, uh, 1,200. And then you could put another 512 on top of that. I could get a terabyte of space with a note. You know how many videos of cats and dogs and my child I can do with a terabyte on my phone. I can <laughs> record my life for a month straight with a terabyte. But Apple is just squeaking on by with a 64, then to a 256. I hate so much the things that they do. Now ask me if I'm buying it and which one I'm buying. <laughs> <laughs> 11, uh, I'm sorry, 17 uh, anonymous sources in government, you know, three-letter agencies, Amazon and Apple, said that Chinese spies had placed a tiny rice-sized microchip on super micro motherboards in 2015. These super micro motherboards were used in many, many places, servers by Apple, the Department of Defense. We even had one because this all came to light according to now I'm going to say this a couple of times in this story because I want to emphasize according to Bloomberg Business Week we even had one because it was first discovered by Amazon when they were doing their due diligence they were about to acquire a company called Elemental Technologies Elemental makes a streaming box a box we've used for some years a very expensive box that takes our video 
compresses it and then feeds it out to Ustream, YouTube, Twitch, Mixer, whoever it is that's restreaming our stuff. Uh, these elemental motherboards, Amazon, uh, during a routine security audit before the acquisition, found this little chip. According to Bloomberg Businessweek, uh, the chip was posing as a support, a minor support chip on the motherboard. Nobody would pay any attention to it. But when the motherboard was first booted in a server, would modify the operating system, phone home oh, the Chinese military, and help the Chinese military hack these servers. Servers in the Pentagon. Uh, every Elemental's widely used. As I said, we use it. I presume, our, if this is true, our motherboards were hacked. But then the story gets weirder. So 17 sources, anonymous sources, Bloomberg Businessweek, highly credible source. The next day, Amazon, Apple, even the freaking Chinese government unequivocally deny it. They say it never happened. Apple said it was the story was wrong and misinformed. The Department of Homeland Security yesterday, well, actually, their denial was a little less unequivocal. They said, we have no reason to doubt. We have no reason to doubt that Apple and Amazon uh, are telling the truth. That's not exactly like, no, it never happened. That's like, well, we have no reason. To, in this particular circumstance, we currently... Have no reason to doubt. Nevertheless, the uh, denials from Amazon and Apple were were really strong. No, it didn't happen. Bloomberg's completely wrong. How does this happen? Is this a tr actually? I'm going to poll you. <laughs> we'll start with you, Rich. Who's right? Oh man, I I feel like this is kind of the the biggest fear of kind of the tech world, right? Like all this stuff is made over in China. Um, this is kind of the perfect way of infiltrating the systems with a tiny chip that nobody recognizes or even cares to notice. And, um, you know, they can take control of these things. They can modify the system on startup, whatever they want to do. So it's tough for me to believe that Business Week has this many people saying this happened and it hasn't happened. And I understand why these big companies, including Amazon and Apple, are strongly denying this because it's pretty bad for them if this happened to them. Um, so I sort of believe it. And I think that just reading the story, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, I couldn't put this thing down. Just, oh yeah. You know, it was like so well written. And so like, I just wanted to know more and more and more, but I think what was missing in this story, uh, to me is kind of the, the consequence, like, like concrete, like what they did with these little chips. And maybe I missed that, but I didn't see like, you know, did they take down something? Did they, you know, or is this all just like kind of laying in wait for something that they want to do in the future? That was kind of the part that I was confused about. It's a great, it's a great question. Ant, do you believe, who do you believe? Initially, my gut is actually siding with Apple um, just because of their, their history regarding security and privacy. And why would um, they lie, think, right? What, I mean, that would be a big deal for Apple PR to issue, and they issued two statements. Yeah. All right. They... They're, they come forth pretty quickly about it. And then I just think back to other scenarios in the past with Apple as far as like when um, we had that shooting at that school in California and they wanted to search the phones and Apple was trying to do the right thing from a privacy and security standpoint. So I just my gut just says I'm, I'm going to go with Apple. Now, had it just been Amazon saying, no, that's not true. 
Uh, that had the hairy eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> Apple said specifically, quote, on this, I mean, this is as strong as you can get. We can be very clear. Apple has never found malicious chips, hardware manipulations, or vulnerabilities purposely planted in any server. Daniel Rubino, what do you think? You've been covering this for a long time. What do you think? Yeah, um, I'm leaning towards this. Is, there's got to be some truth to this. Now, what we may not know are the exact details. Actually, we don't know the exact details. And there could be some crossed wires here on information. Maybe some hardware was shipped to Apple, but it was caught in time and never deployed it, in which case both things could be true. But, um, yeah, right. you know, there's been a lot of reports around Huawei and other companies too, right, uh, about – this possibility, this threat, and it works both ways. You know, there's concerns to U.S. companies doing the same. Um, I don't know. My hunch says that there's probably some truth to this. It's just a question of to what extent the damage was done. But none of this is surprising to anyone who's been covering this industry for the last couple of years as this big concern over uh, the, the strength of Chinese tech and its influence on the U.S. economy. Everybody knows that the way you wage war is changing from a pure, um, you know, military exercise to more technological or information in the case of what Russia has been doing or accused of been doing uh, a lot recently. So um, just because the companies deny this stuff, if it's an issue of national security, they could be quite frankly told to don't talk about this because – um, you don't want to expose those vulnerabilities. Maybe there's active investigations going on. Um, you, we don't know all the details here, but I find it hard to believe with 17 sources that none of this is true. I think it's more about degrees at this point. Zach Whitaker, who writes that. about security at TechCrunch and has worked most recently at CBS, he's been covering security forever. He says, welcome to the murky world of national security reporting. He, uh, he says, even with this story, my gut is mixed. I, there is one potential scenario that maybe means both of these, that the companies aren't lying, but the story is true. I, I, I have to say, to add myself to this poll, there's no way Bloomberg Businessweek runs this story unless, and they stand behind it, by the way, unless they absolutely have unequivocal evidence of this 17 sources all anonymous yeah but you'd have to say bloomberg business week is making this up this is there's that's too many people to not be true so here's maybe a very narrow maybe the apple pr team that responded and this was john gruber's theory didn't know about it right if something like this happens you're not going to send out a memo to everybody in apple saying hey by the way look what we found you're going to keep it very quiet. So maybe a handful of people at Apple know, and the ones who don't know are the ones making the unequivocal denial. There's also a possibility there's a U.S. government gag order, although Apple, again, says we are in no way under a gag order. <laughs> but again, maybe the people who are under the gag order are a handful of people, not the people writing the press release. That's the only way I could see both sides being accurate. And I don't, I don't think Apple PR is lying in such an outright. They would say nothing or they would say little or they would say there's lots of ways they could slice this without saying, no, it did not happen. Yeah, it's odd that they came out so strong in 
their denial of this like immediately and emailed the media, including myself. Um, and that rarely happens when they, you know, usually the way Apple works is they kind of talk to the certain media that covers the beat that they want to get the story out with. This time they, they just sent out a blanket email through their legal guy um, denying it and kind of linking to this, which I found to be very heavy handed. So it's like one of these things where you want to believe Apple, but at the same time, it seems like it's overly like what, what are the, I understand they have a lot to lose in, in, in this, but it just seems like they really want to make sure that like, no, we are not involved in this. This is not true at all. Um, I wonder if their reporter is going to be invited to the next Apple event. Huh. That's <laughs> Apple's stick, baby. You're right. Probably not. Right we won't there. be seeing you <laughs> at uh, the uh, next Apple event. As I somebody who another... hasn't been invited to an Apple event in years, <laughs> I could say that stick isn't that, isn't that uh, weighty. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say another angle to this possibly is more the conspiratorial angle is that this is really a story. The U.S. government has a vested interest in undermining Chinese tech or at least the, eroding the trust in it for such circumstances. We obviously know about the Qualcomm Broadcom right. uh, attempt to buy out and how that was blocked. And, you know, do you think I find Bloomberg be, got played by the U.S. intelligence uh, community? I mean, I, in a way, no. 17 seems like a lot. On the other hand, this is kind of what intelligence is supposed to be doing. Um, and so I don't think we can discount it. Um, I still think there's actually a threat from China in this sense. Why? Because why wouldn't they? Right. Right. Um, it's just that's how counterintelligence works. We do the same thing. Um, so there may be some, you know, like I said, there may be some truth to this, but it may have been played up by uh, some people in the government, too, uh, to, you know, even this current administration is very much against um you know, giving China too much leverage when it comes to manufacturing. And so I don't know. There's um it's a hard story to to follow and believe, especially when you're talking about espionage, counterintelligence, and national security. Bloomberg Bring writes the out. company's denials are countered by six current and former senior national security officials who, in conversations that began during the Obama administration and continued under the Trump administration, detailed the discovery of the chips in the government's investigation. This has been going on for several years. And and it sounds like Bloomberg reporters have been working on this story for several years. One of those officials and two people inside Amazon provided extensive information on how the attack played out at Elemental and Amazon. That's another thing. You would not only have to... It's one thing to say, well, you get you can easily get 17... CIA people to say, yeah, yeah, this happened. I mean, that's their job. But then you're getting people inside Amazon saying, confirming it. The details match. The officials and one of the insiders also described Amazon's cooperation with the government investigation. In addition to the three Apple insiders, four of the six U.S. officials confirmed that Apple was a victim. Seventeen people confirmed the manipulation of Supermicro's hardware. The sources were granted anonymity because of the sensitive and in some cases, classified nature of the information. Daniel, it's an interesting theory, though. I li I kind of, maybe this is, uh, it, you, you know, it's clear something's going on. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> but we don't know what it is. Information warfare. It's the new battle of the 21st century. Super dangerous, super hard to counter. It's who do you believe, who do you trust, and when you undermine all institutions around you. Uh, people can't even trust news sources, right, anymore. So it's um, we're in a brave new world. It's not. Uh, I'm I'm kind of nervous about it. Uh, during 
when I did political science, undermining classic institutions is the first way you destabilize society. So it's exactly um, right. Is a real threat to it. It's yeah. exactly right. Well, and from the consumer standpoint, uh, I mean, obviously this was kind of big server things, but for the average consumer, I think it makes you think twice too. Um, with everything that you have in your house, um, I mean, we're all putting these smart speakers in our homes. Um, yeah. Where are those manufactured? I mean, this is this is becoming a reality for the average person to think about the stuff that we're carrying with us and the stuff that we're putting in our homes, the routers, the systems. And this becomes like very clear that, oh, my gosh, like this is something that, of course, we've thought of, but not into this detail. And you're just like, this is exactly how it's done. Right. In a big way. Right. IoT is a huge security vulnerability right now. Microsoft's trying to counter with Azure Sphere, which has been in the headlines recently, is their first attempt right. at making these sort of systems more secure for everybody, anyone who's manufacturing devices. But right now it's Wild West. People are just putting microphones and internet into all these devices. We're putting them in our homes and there's no regulation or checks. It's, it's going to come back to bite us. I guarantee it will. It's just a matter of time. Well, really, if you believe... Said, go ahead, Ant. It, as much as I said I trust, uh, you know, what Apple's response was, at the same time, I still have that little fear in the back of my head of the the button that the Chinese could just push at any time because of everything that I'm looking at right now was not made right here in the U.S. And they could easily just push a button to make things just go nuts on me and, and maybe cause some even bigger problems if they wanted to because we don't know – I can crack this machine open and I don't know what all of these transistors and capacitors and all of that. I don't know what any of that stuff is doing. I just know what it's, it's my motherboard. Well, I mean, you make an excellent point. Very few people understand the complexity of our modern world and fewer still understand the security issues and could detect these problems. And if you have a determined adversary with governmental, with you know, nation state level resources behind them, even if it's just North Korea... It's. It seems to me that the, that it would be very very difficult if 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 you if you had somebody who wanted to do this to prevent it. Everything is made in China, or almost yep. everything. Uh, so the supply chain is coming out of China, and even if you're buying a phone made in Korea, or Taiwan, or Thailand, or India, or Brazil, many of the the parts are made in China. So right. uh, I doubt there's one uh, consumer electronic device in your house that it hasn't something that was manufactured in China. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at junk on my desk. You know, this is mm -hmm. a power distribution board. Pretty sure this was not made in the USA. Yeah. You know, does it say super micro on it? <laughs> <laughs> Just right. look for that. Yeah. It's like the equivalent of the Intel Inside sticker. Can you imagine if Supermicro had one of those and now everyone just sees those? Um, I'm going to go from the flip side, though, on the fact that China knows that all this stuff is big business. And I think, I mean, clearly we love to believe in these conspiracy theories and we love to imagine that it's like us versus them versus, you know, Russia. Ver you know, I, I do think there, of course, are elements of that in our world. But at the same time, I want to believe that they know that the business that they're going to make off these components are way better than, you know, the business they're going to make off of the whatever marketplace they're dealing with. Absolutely. Um, with the shady stuff. But what's going on in China, yeah. and it's true in other places too, is there's more than one constituency. So there are absolutely, I would say most of the Chinese government wants to maintain good relations because after all, we're their biggest market. On the other hand, 
there are and and this hack it's presumed came from the Chinese military there are I'm sure hardliners in the Chinese military who say yeah let's just in case let's be ready for cyber warfare uh, I don't think it's monolithic in other words and I completely agree with you Daniel this completely could be a conspiracy from the United States government who wants us to say exactly that mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> It's crazy. What a time uh, at, at this point, the only Oops. way America can hack the rest of the world is by putting something in a frappuccino. Because <laughs> that's the only that's thing. The only, the only thing we're exporting we is Starbucks. <laughs> Wait, well, yeah, we got Facebook though. Facebook, I hear, is not so security. Yeah, things, so. that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, what a world! What a world <laughs> we live in. And but it was almost inevitable when when the tools we use got so complex. Uh, Jerry Pornell. I've mentioned this to Jerry before he passed uh, uh, in, in uh, his book, Lucifer's Hammer. The story is that a giant asteroid hits the United States. Great book. Yeah, isn't it good? And there's just a few survivors in the world who kind of have to cobble together existence again. But, it po- but he points out that we live in a world where, where we use stuff every day. We have no idea how it works, yeah. nor could we recreate it if we had to. And yeah. that's your car. That's your freaking microwave oven, let alone your computers and your phones. I'm guilty. We're all guilty. Uh, it's And I don't think there's any one person who could do this, who could recreate this. So um, that's kind of the consequence of that is you, you, there's a huge amount of trust in using all of this stuff. And if you had an actor who decided that he didn't care about being trusted or wanted to subvert this... It's a, it's a little, I, you know, is it chilling or is it industrial espionage? I mean, the, it, 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 a lot of these servers are used by the Department of Defense. These, these, these elemental servers alone are used all over the place. The CIA, the NSA, the, they're used in drone, in the drone, uh, uh, you know, uh, placement. They're used Light controllers, controllers. They're used all over the place. And, but okay, but here's the question: Has anyone cracked one of these open and found this little chip? I mean, wouldn't that be the first thing that one of these companies would do? Is kind of look in there? I mean, I know it's only been a couple of days since the story came out, but wouldn't that be part of this reporting? I mean, I think that's what the um, original report actually did say was that the uh, they when Amazon was looking to buy Elemental, they sent their boards into for review to a third party company who found. A little chip on there that was not part of the original diagram uh, designed for that chipset, and that's what the red flag was. And then I think trying to figure out what it does or what its potential was a matter of sort of reverse engineering it. But well, I can uh, yeah, bet I that it, everybody who has a super micro motherboard and has yeah. the capability. The problem is who has the capability. These are there's a lot of little chips on. There. Have you ever looked at a little right. motherboard? Yeah. <laughs> and they're labeled. And but I mean I don't know how you would have to you would have to take the thing apart, test each one individually. It's right, non-trivial. And who has those resources? <laughs> An elemental Anybody. costs thirty thousand dollars. I am not taking my elemental. <laughs> and by, I actually proposed this to our engineering team. I said we have because we have a new elemental from AWS, so that we just got a few months ago. So that will not obviously. But we had the old elemental from this time frame. We were using it back then, uh, but unfortunately, we had to send it back. But Where's uh, the I fix it tear down when yeah, you Yeah, I want to tear yeah. down. Yes. <laughs> I would I fix it maybe could do that. Yeah. <laughs> they they specialize in identifying uh, uh un, unlabeled or poorly labeled or incorrectly labeled chips. Uh we, I think we all we can all agree that this is 
there's potential for this to happen, whether it actually did happen or not. Um, and I think Bloomberg didn't get it wrong. I just don't understand what happened, you know, what the response is and why the response is that. And I don't think it's I don't think Apple is so venal as to say, well, that will hurt our business. We better lie about it. I, that, I, that, I agree with you in that case. Yeah, there's no way that's the case. I think it's much right. more that whoever issued this release didn't know, if anything. You know, and nobody's nobody's talking. Maybe even Tim Cook doesn't know. I don't know. Photographers like Trey Ratcliffe made his yeah. made his name on Google Plus because it was such a good place for photographers. Yeah, uh, people um, like Mike Elgin uh, mm-hmm. really sang its praises. I loved it, but it. I mean, if I'm looking at my Google Plus page, it's filled with spam of a sexual nature in many cases, and I'm an, yep. I'm a member of a. A lot of uh, remember they pushed communities, so I joined a lot of geek communities, and now I'm I'm getting porn spam. That's not yeah. a good look for Google Plus. The the one the one uh, metric from the product strobe one was that I think that the average time spent <laughs> That's on Google page, Plus feed don't show yeah. it on TV. Well, but you see, maybe Mark, you shouldn't have joined the geek porn community. It's not a geek uh, porn community. It's geeks. I'm gonna. I guess I should unjoin it. Nobody's. That's part of the problem, right, Ron? If you don't moderate your community, right, the bad guys just totally yeah, they get to it. They get there. So I'm gonna leave geeks. The Google Plus geek community apparently is what's, not. Oh man, what's, what's this one? Photography. Oh, now I have to leave photography too. They're well, all they, they, full of it. The data point they said was the average time spent on page by Google Plus users was like six seconds. They said right. Yeah. This is in the Project Strobe announcement. We found that 90% of Google Plus users left the page after five seconds. Yeah. Because <laughs> they went, whoa, why my or, eyes? Or they went to the page and posted that link and then went to the next one because right? yeah. they're just spamming it. It's so. too bad because, honestly, it's a beautiful – I am I wrong? I think it's a beautiful social network. It has moderation tools better than Twitter, better than Facebook. I, th- I thought Google – why Google Plus should have won. Why did it not win? Google fundamentally doesn't understand social as a, as a company, as a culture. They what fundamentally don't understand social. If you just give people social. a great tool, why don't they use it? I don't think anybody building the products or steering it understands social. I just don't. And and I think that you can have all the best things, but if, you, if you're not coming at it from that perspective, I mean, they, there was a, an interesting Medium post, or it wasn't a Medium, sorry, but somebody's blog, who someone who's on the design team for the first eight months who kind of talked about his experiences. And they're obviously colored in, in, in some ways that maybe aren't fair to the final product. But, you know, it was always from, from the very beginning, it was a defensive move, always. And that comes through. And, and I think that uh, the, the fact that it was, it was designed because Google realized that they'd missed social. And then the fact that it was pushed down everyone's throats so much to the point where you, there wasn't even a reason for people to want to use it. You're almost turned off. I mean, there was a point where it was linked to your to all of your Google stuff. Like I'm verified on on YouTube because of it, so I'm thankful for that. Um, I had a, a, a ridiculous number of Google Plus followers. It was I I would joke about it because like it was hilarious. Um, it still is, but I didn't really ever see that sort of engagement. It was it was just kind of this weird thing foistered upon people, and and I don't think it ever had direction from people who saw it as anything other than we've got to try to beat Facebook because that's an important part of the future going forward. And uh, I, don't, I mean, it, it is what it is. It's a shame, but it is what it is. It is a shame. I, um, by the way, if uh, you want to learn Google+, Plus, uh, the Brooklyn Public Library on Tuesday is having a, uh, a class. 
It's never too late to learn Google Plus. Oh, God. Uh, it will be in 10 months. That's so good. Oh, I'm so, that's my old library. That's my old library. I'm so, oh, God. That's I want to go to that's Tuesday. Me too. Me you too. Go I mean, to that literally, just see what, I'll go. You guys want? It's, I'm I'm yes. just I'm five minutes from Brooklyn. <laughs> Check it no, out. I mean, but that was literally like my my like that was literally like a five minute walk from my apartment uh, for for many years. Uh, I'm very sad that I can't go to that. That's so good. Oh, that's so good. Everybody in Brooklyn who loves Google Plus should go to this event. And, it's a and, very Brooklyn thing too. It's like wait, if you what, go to what, this what day, ironically. What day? In t- what day and time is it? It's a Tuesday at eleven oh. a.m. at the Pacific Library. I was gonna say I was say Tuesdays is when we do all about Android. So no, maybe but you I'll could go do it before and, all about Android. Yeah, yeah there you yeah. go. <laughs> Twenty five Fourth Street at Pacific Avenue, Brooklyn. Everybody, show up just to show the flag. It's sad to me because it really has great tools. It it could have been, you know. I see Mike's still posting. Uh, that's where I got that link, by the way, it's from Mike Elgin. Uh, Trey Ratcliffe is actually putting together a documentary, kind of a online thing about saying goodbye, where people are going to. He wanted me to record something, and I'll, I'll do it. Uh, record their thoughts and memories of Google Plus. <laughs> it's sad. Uh, although I know Carsten will not show my Google Plus. He's not going to show my Google. He saw what happened, right? <laughs> Poor Mark Millions going. Why? I don't want to see that. I don't, it, it, the spammers just got a hold of it. How do you survive that, Ron? You you have to go in every day, don't you? Uh, I, his name is Jason Howell, and he's you amazing. Let Jason he's, do he's, it. he's he's a he's a blessing for all of us. Uh, yeah, no, we we flag, but also the community does. I mean, but we we flag and mark things as spam and stuff like that. But stuff gets through. But um, but if you flag there, it, you can. Imme- that's the thing. It has moderation tools. You can immediately yeah. get rid of it. Yep. Um, but it just it's a testament to. How few groups are being moderated that these spammers are flourishing because it works. You know, you, you know, yep. the president. <laughs> yeah, you just oh. laugh when I say that, don't you? The president, according to the New York Times, has three phones, all three of them iPhones. Two of them are carefully modified to be secure by the Secret Service. One, for instance, only has Wi-Fi. The third is a stock iPhone which, according to the Times, the president keeps because it has his contact list on it. And that's the one he uses to make phone calls. And according to the New York Times, it's the one the Chinese and Russians are, are hoping he'll use because they can listen in. The president so all of, us have, all of us have experience doing tech support for older people. Yeah, that's what it's like. <laughs> but it's, my contacts are on this one. And it's yeah, and the CIA. The best part of this story to me, uh, that you know, there's so much of it that's just horrifying and and stupid and wrong. But the best part of it, I think, was the uh, was it the Chinese trade minister? Yes. Who said yes? Use um, you should use a a Huawei phone. <laughs> it would be secure. Dude, that, that was an um, that was an amazing troll on that one. I got I got I got to give that. big props to that one. That was when Ed said yeah. that. I just imagined him putting it on speaker and holding it to his ear, the way you see people in coffee shops. Yeah, yeah. Talk on the phone. Yeah, really loud. Like Everybody can hear they, it. Yeah, they don't know there's an earpiece. It's like on FaceTime or something, and it's stuck up to their ear. We do. Yeah, that's some serious shade. The Huawei, the Huawei thing was some big time shade. <laughs> and ZTE is going. What about some love for us? Really, nothing. Sorry. Actually, I I talked with a PR person from Huawei uh, just this week because I really like the P20. But I said to her, you know, the, the first thing it does is say, "Can we send everything you're doing back to the the office?" And she said, "Here's the good news: 
That's all sent to Germany, <laughs> not to China. <laughs> what? So there, I feel better. That actually is good news. Okay. Actually, it's much. It's, if the, if you're going to send to one country in the world, send it to Germany. Exactly. They started by talking about Max, which first was very, as a Mac fan, was very gratifying. Mm-hmm. I thought, hallelujah, well, little Mac love. Uh, they they announced a new MacBook Air with, frankly, an anemic processor. Yeah, but, okay. very poor spec. Very poorly specced and very inexpensive, eleven ninety nine. We were hoping it would be sub-1,000. It's not. They do have a sub-1,000 MacBook Air. It's the old one. <laughs> uh, and then they announced a Mac Mini, which with lots of ports, we bought both. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna use that Mac Mini. We're, you know, also uh, more expensive. Well, a hundred bucks more than the base model last time, which yeah. was, let's face it, four years ago. Last time, I think the dollar was worth less. But, <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, um, then they go to the iPads, and suddenly everything's shiny, bright, new, yeah. faster. And yeah. and I realized if you had started with the iPads and went to the Macs, it would have been like, oh man, how yeah. depressing is this? But also, it's it's the essential message they're pushing, which I mean, for me was, you will buy an iPad whether you like it or not, and we're going to price and, and spec our systems to do it. It felt very much to me like the end of the line on the Apple II. Yeah, I don't, you remember that probably, Mike? Yeah. Where at, they had a conference, Apple had a conference in San Francisco, Apple II forever. They had a song. Apple II forever, and they killed it like six months later. <laughs> and and it was very clear to me that this is basically the end of the line for Mac OS. They mm-hmm. emphasized the we're giving them what they want. Some people for some reason like our laptops, so we're yeah, we don't uh, get it. We and, don't know why. Yeah, and some for some reason they like Mac Mini. So here's another Mac Mini. But now let's talk about the future of computing: the iPad. And it was, yeah, it was really, it was really clear. With the A12X Bionic, right. which is faster than the MacBook Pro. I predict, yeah, I predict that, yeah. that after the all the benchmarking is done, the fastest computer that Apple makes is going to be the new iPad. Yeah. Yeah, I can quite Well, and the, 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 the graphics, too, like uh, people that, uh, a guy I know that hasn't had an iPad since like the I, the second iPad, it was the graphics performance that he's like, all right, I'm getting one. Yeah, they're doing like an the- eight-core G- CPU, a seven-core GPU. They even have a machine learning core, dedicated machine learning core. It's so. It seems to me that all of the real innovation that's happening at Apple is happening in those in those chipsets. When I saw that the, the the new Apple Pencil magnetically sticks to the iPad, ah, they're copying the Pixel Book, and then they're like, oh, and then it charges through the. I'm yeah. like, really? Yeah, that's it, sure. that was Pixel Book's uh, pencil or pen or whatever you call it has a quadruple A battery. Did you know this existed? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't until <laughs> I got one of them. Yeah, yeah. What's that? The size of a baby's pinky. <laughs> it's or tiny. Something. Yes, baby baby's something. what? Pinky. Yeah, something. <laughs> oh, yeah. come on. It's I mean, very I, small. Yes. I have standards. <laughs> uh, not many, admittedly. but <laughs> So it's not wasn't just yeah. me. Because I love Mac OS, and I want to keep using Mac OS. Apple, Apple also they, had AutoCAD on stage, and they said very clearly this has the desktop AutoCAD yeah. engine in it. Yeah. Uh, at Adobe's uh, conference uh, a couple of weeks ago, they announced Adobe Photoshop, basically all the features of desktop on the iPad. Uh, but they, this comes back to what Mike was saying earlier. They want iOS because it's a nice little wall garden that they control absolutely and completely mm-hmm. and can monetize that, whereas Mac OS is messy. Other people playing it. And, you know, for all the tools... Well, furthermore, of- they're also beholden to Intel, right? Yeah. One of the reasons that Apple's Macintosh line has been held back is that Intel 
is stymied. It can't seem to do a 10 nanometer chip. Apple was very clear. We've got the first 7 nanometer chip in production, the A12X Bionic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I feel like Apple would love to get out from under Intel. Yeah. Oh, Even yeah. for the Macs. Well, Intel's got massive problems at the moment. They've been, their work on 10 nanometer is completely stalled. Um, Cobalt, which they were trying out as a method of getting, getting around it, hasn't worked. At the same time, other chip companies are eating their breakfast. And they've got major supply problems on the server side because they've got 99% of the market and people are still buying those chips and they can't produce them fast enough. So, I mean, and plus they've got they've lost their CEO in rather unusual circumstances. So, yeah, Intel just seems to be flailing at the moment. I don't blame Apple for trying to dump them. Yeah, the other thing is that they're they're grappling with a new generation of people who like you were saying earlier, only want to use their phones. They grew up with touch devices. They only remember touch devices. There are lots of kids these days who never used a mouse before. They think it's kind of a weird contraption from the Victorian era or something like that. <laughs> and and let's face it, this is how change really happens is old mm. people die and young people are born and they, you know, they, and so they, they basically, they're, they're thinking, okay, in 20 years or 10 years, how are we going to get today's iPhone, you, you know, 20 year old iPhone users to, to, to buy a really expensive second computer Device. for their desk. Mm. And it's got to be something that's going to be iPhone-like. Otherwise they're, otherwise, they're not going to buy is it. That, that's obviously is, the are people going to do that? Or are they just going to have the phone? Um, I think... More, more and more, we're seeing things like uh, uh, Microsoft's continuity, Intel's... Uh, well, I can't remember what they call it. Not, uh, Samsung's little device where the phone right. becomes a desktop. Right, yeah. Which I think is a wonderful model. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. HP photables. tried to do with Windows Mobile, but unfortunately died on its backside because yeah, that was Windows Mobile yeah. was terrible. Yeah. yeah. Augmented reality is going to be a, a big uh, thing that people use while they're sitting at a desk, I think. Uh, so the screen will be virtual. It'll be yeah. imaginary, be projected well, on your eyeballs instead of sitting in front of it. That's you. part of it. I do think I do think there's a future for giant iPad-like devices. And, you, and for the Surface like, Studio will be an iPad. Exa- exactly. And I think also there, there, there'll be things like office windows will be TVs like that one. Or giant giant mm. uh, screens that can be, you know. Be, so I think there are going to be screens everywhere. On your face, on the wall, on the desktop surface will be a screen. But, you know, this whole touch, it's all going to be iOS-like. It's all going to be touch uh, gestures and, and, and that sort of thing. So, but Apple has a couple, okay. couple of issues. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's fine and great, but there could be a fairly long interim here yeah. before that reality comes. Yes. So the question is, and this has been debated, I'm not the first one to bring this up, but... At what point do they risk? Apple's always been the the company of of creatives and um, uh, high end professionals. It's the thing that kept Apple alive as a company in the late nineties. Um, wh- what's the tipping point where those people have to go away and go to someone else? And also, what is the tipping point where Apple is fine with that? Well, they, they, Brian, the, wasn't that the point of the event? The point is, that's what I'm let's saying. see what's that, in the yeah. making. It was about creativity. Yeah. It was a Brooklyn yeah. Academy yeah. of Music in the Opera House. It was you create with an iPad. Wow. What a year this has been. I am so thrilled that you decided to watch our holiday rap special. I know it, many of you have seen all these segments. It was fun to get them all together. Thanks to Carson Bonnie, our producer, and our crack editors who you know stitch this all together and i'm really glad they did because it gave them and me a chance to take this week off i hope you're enjoying your holiday week celebrating it with family and friends i also hope you have a wonderful uh new year 2019 we will be back uh for uh, the first twit of 2019 which is what january 6th is that right january 5th 
7th. Yeah, uh, 8th, January 7th, 6th, 6th. (laughs) One of those numbers is right. January 6th, we'll be back. As always, Sunday afternoon, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, 2300 UTC for This Week in Tech, our tech news roundtable. And one of the things we're going to keep doing, I hope you like it, all of other shows have a regular cast. But for some reason, I think historic reasons, uh, Twit is a rotating cast of people that I think we've all come to love. I like that chance to get new voices, a variety of voices on talking about the week's tech news. We're going to keep doing that in 2019. I hope, I pray you will keep listening. In fact, do me a favor, subscribe at twit.tv or in your favorite podcast application. And that way you won't miss another episode of Twit. I've got to raise my glass. Yes, I've been uh, drinking eggnog all uh, show long and I'm getting a little tipsy. I got to raise my glass to all of you. Thank you so much for making Twit a part of your lives, uh, for giving all of us a chance to uh, make these shows. We love doing what we do, but it wouldn't make any sense doing it unless you watched. So I really appreciate it. Uh, here's a, a cheers to you and yours and to a happy and peaceful 2019. And now, without further ado, a word from Santa. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Another twit. Literally in the can.